Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. This is, this is the show where we do lists here at the we, Critically Acclaimed Network. We do indeed. Uh, this is going to be an exciting one. I like this topic. We're, 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 we're jumping outside of our comfort zone here. First off, my name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap and Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Sounds like that's the website you write for. Everybody calls me bibs.com. Dot com. Oh, God, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody steal that. Buy that domain immediately. Damn. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I also contribute... I'm also a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film these days. Uh, mostly Star Trek. Yeah. I wrote about five articles a day, and like four of them today were just Star Trek articles. And bless you for it. Because well, and... there's a new show. I'm reviewing it. Yes. Uh, and I'm mad because you get to see episodes early. I've seen the first six episodes Damn of the season hell. so far. Damn you to hell. I haven't seen the crossover yet. Damn you the, hell. This season of Strange New Worlds is going to have a crossover with Lower Decks. I'm still mad at you. Anyway, uh, this is The Iron List. Uh, this is a podcast that we do once a month because they're really long. Uh, so buckle in, strap in, you know, <laughs> make sure your car is all gassed up for your commute because we're going to be here a while. Secure the badgers and gird your loins. How it works is every single month we present our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network with a series of possibilities, options, if you will, for topics for Whitney and I each to do our own top 10 list for. Uh, this could be the best movie of a particular genre or the best movie of a particular filmmaker. Sometimes we step outside of that box a little bit, and this is one of those, where we're not actually talking about the greatest movies per se. This time on the Iron List, our patrons voted for the best movie soundtracks. Indeed. And this requires, I think, a little bit of categorization because there's a couple of different ways to interpret soundtrack. Well, it, and we decided to narrow it down a little. Yeah, uh, you look up like a list of like best soundtracks, and you'll get kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, but Mostly. if you were to look up best horror soundtracks, all of a sudden they're going to like John Carpenter's scores. Yeah, and uh, we wanted to differentiate between a score, mm -hmm. just the music written for a movie, and what the music supervisor does on a film, which is compile a very cleverly locking together set of pop songs mm -hmm. uh, to sell a feature film. Now, not, that doesn't mean there aren't any new songs. In fact, some mm -hmm. of these uh, soundtracks have a lot of new songs on them. Mm -hmm. But these are a, a, a collection of songs that are used to amplify and tell the story in the film, not the underlying orchestral score. That is a topic that we felt was big enough to deserve its own list somewhere down the road. At some point, that will be an option for the Iron List, and you can vote for that if you chose. We also decided that, and this might be a slightly gray area, depending on the movie, and I'm curious if this will come up or not, uh, this isn't necessarily the same as Best Musical. No, and I wanted to make sure that, although some of these are musicals on my list, mm -hmm. none of them feature original songs written for the film. Okay. Uh, if it's a musical and they're singing standards, I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. But if it's a musical of original songs or maybe even something transposed from the stage, those were out. Okay. Because that's a different kind of an animal. That's uh, mm -hmm. the kinds of songs that are written for musicals, uh, at least since Guys and Dolls, or at least since Oklahoma, have right. really kind of contributed to the story and it's like 
they're very vitally locked in. Now, again, I do believe that depending on the movie that you're discussing, there are definitely some films that might be a gray area. Mm. They may or may not come up, and if they do, we'll talk about them, whether or not we think they count or not. Whitney and I also have runners-up. If we feel the need to switch something out, we can but uh, generally speaking, I trust his... his we, usually we don't talk about the criteria ahead of time, but this time, since it was a little unusual and we wanted to leave room for future lists, we did. Yes. So we're mostly on the same page going into this. The other big thing I want to mention before we do the episode, which we do every single Iron List, we want to make sure you know that our top ten lists are not like most top ten lists. Yeah, there's ten of them, mm-hmm. but the order doesn't matter. Because if it made the list, if it made our list of the top ten greatest ever, we just want you to see it and or hear it in this case. You don't need to listen to number nine more than you need to listen to number eight. That's irrelevant. Just listen to them all. We love them all. We recommend them all more or less equally. The one exception is that each of us has picked one particular soundtrack to be our number one. That is, if you put a gun to our head and said, what's the greatest soundtrack of all time? That would be the one we picked. First of all, why are you doing that? Why, why, why are you holding a gun to my head and d- demanding that this is so violent? I assume the gun is made of chocolate. <laughs> and when you, well, and when if you you're present holding your a pick, chocolate you gun to, to my it. head, then yeah. I'm, I'm not so mad if you're holding a chocolate gun to my head. Yeah, it sounds delicious. It's a little aggro for <laughs> my days. Remember back when you used to be able to get... And you could still find them in certain places, but uh, mm. you could just find at regular stores uh, uh, bubblegum cigarettes. They're still around, yeah. So that kids could pretend to be smoking smoke, cigarettes. Yeah. I, I found a store Cause, recently... Because you know what? A, billion, a million dollars isn't cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool. Smoking. Yeah. I, uh, but I, <laughs> Smoking I, cigarettes is cool. I was at the store and they sold like a whole bunch of like, you know, drinks and candies that you didn't realize they still made and they had bubblegum cigarettes. I'm like, oh, I'm getting those for nostalgia value. Uh-huh. And so I picked them up and they, they used to look like cigarettes. They, they, like were, wrapped in, they were wrapped in paper. They had a, a yeah. core of gum or candy. Sometimes yeah. it was just uh, sugar. Yeah. And they were coated in powdered sugar so you could blow into the paper tube uh-huh. and a little poof of powdered sugar would kind of puff out the end. Well, the, the bubble... And by the way, I'm not even complaining about this because that's a very irresponsible candy that tells <laughs> kids that smoking is something fun. Should I don't approve of that at all. But I did buy it for Nostalgia Value and when I opened it up, I was surprised to discover not disappointed, but surprised mm. the paper wrappers and the powder is gone. It's just a stick of gum. Is it gum or is it like it was a gum. white candy? It was a white gum. Okay. But, like, yeah, so I guess it looked kind of like a joint. I don't know. Maybe that's okay. <laughs> In any case, we're already off the beaten path. Uh, so here we go, the Iron List hmm. for the best movie soundtracks of all time, as selected by myself and Whitney Seibold. We didn't discuss what we picked ahead of time. I have no idea what Whitney hmm. is about to start us out with. Whitney, yeah. what is your first pick? Uh, my first pick is... Uh... And you can you can debate this one if you like. Okay. I'm going to start with Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World, because the sound because uh, the soundtrack record is like a mix of score and also uh, some classical and baroque pieces uh-huh. that were appropriate to the time. Uh, that in fact the characters even play at certain points throughout the uh, yeah. the movie. Um, Lucky Jack Aubrey, yeah. played by uh, Russell Crowe, and Doctor Stephen Maturin, played by <laughs> Paul Bettany. Uh, they have kind of this antagonistic friendship. Like, they get along really, really well. They serve on a ship really, really well. They work well together. They constantly jibe at one another, and yet they really understand each other. 
Okay. And uh, at the end of the day, they get together and they play violin duets, which the crew hates. There's a, a funny bit where they're tuning up and the, the, Never the cook is like, it's like a scrape, scrape, you can't dance to it. Uh, what can't you dance to? Well, Mozart. There's a violin concerto from Mozart. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the bit where they're going around, I think it's when they're going around the Galapagos Island, Islands where they play the... Um, that famous cello prelude by Bach. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that yeah. one's really great. Uh, and then, of course, at the very end, there's that really great piece by Boccherini. That's the one. Well, it starts with because if you've heard the the whole bit, it's it's violins and there's there's sort of this kind of a sweet We're not trying to get a copyright strike, so we'd love to include clips if we could. But look, you're just going to have to deal with this. Also, also, this shit's in the public domain. Well, those guys have been dead for a while. The the original orchestration is in the public domain. The recording isn't necessarily. That's true. There's a big difference. But the bit they play in the movie is actually a plucked uh, violin and cello bit. Yeah. Uh, And that is jaunty AF, isn't it? Uh, As the ship is sort of sailing on... Master and Commander is a really great film. It's one of my favorites. And uh, it's sort of curious in that it's kind of a slice of life, of life on this Mm. ship. There is a plot... This uh, ship called the Acheron, this French ship, is stalking them, and it's much more technologically advanced than them, and they have to figure out scrappy ways to get this ship, and there's trials along the way, and trouble among the crew, and Dr. Uh, Magerin gets injured at one point and has to operate on himself. Uh, And then at the very end, they've bested the ship, they feel like we've taken some prisoners, we destroyed the ship, we're good, and then it was revealed at the last minute, no... The person you thought was the captain wasn't. The captain mm-hmm. actually got away, and the ship is actually getting away. Yeah, our mission isn't complete. Yeah, and they start playing this jaunty piece. Like, well, let's just keep on going. <laughs> the adventure continues. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. I love the soundtrack. Uh, I think a good soundtrack, a, a good movie, can alter the way you perceive a song. If they incorporate a song uh, in well enough, it will forever be associated with the film. Um, like what, for instance, William, is your favorite Steelers Wheel song? Uh, <laughs> of all the Steelers Wheel songs, you know. Talk, it, I, cannot, about, I don't. I don't know a single Steelers Wheel song. Are they a one-hit wonder? Did they have other big hits? I don't. I think Stuck in the Middle of You is their only one. And, and Con- bless Console Reservoir Dogs, Dogs, which which uh, made my runners up. It didn't make my list. Mm. Uh, but Reservoir Dogs is a great soundtrack, and that soundtrack includes the great Stephen Wright as a mm. DJ introducing a lot of the songs. Yeah. Just so, if you weren't hundred percent sure, is that Steelers Wheel? Mm. Yes, <laughs> that's Steelers Wheel. That sounds a lot like Steelers Wheel. Yeah. I make fun. Yeah. Um, but because of the movie Reservoir Dogs, everybody knows about Stuck in the Middle with You. Sure. Um, I yeah. was a little incensed when that movie Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Mm. And a song called Hooked on a Feeling by yeah. Blue Swede. Uh, particularly uh, a cover, mm. which the original version of that song doesn't begin with that. Ooga chaka, ooga, yeah, yeah. ooga, ooga chaka, ooga chaka. Yeah, I forgot who did the original, but yeah, it's like yeah. A, a, an old sort of crooner's piece from the 1960s. Yeah. And uh, that was in... Reservoir Dogs. And it's used much more playfully in Reservoir Dogs, too, because there's this great bit where, like, two cops are following some criminals, and they're just having some, you know, sort of general banter. And then mm. when they turn on their car, the awuga chaka is, like, instead of the sound of their car turning on. Yeah. That's the, that's the sound cars make in Reservoir Dogs, which is adorable. Um, 
That I I will say that I I know Quentin Tarantino soundtrack made my list, but Reservoir Dogs is easily my favorite because it's the most playful. It's play. Yeah. I, I can't really comment on like the, the soundtracks of these movies because he still technically um, worked for Quentin Tarantino. I, I can say this: um, yeah. the soundtrack of Reservoir Dogs has a lot of '70s hits because that's the radio yeah. station that the, the characters are tuned to. So that's the music the characters are listening yeah. Super to. Super sounds of the '70s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I like that kind of well, I think it's interplay. Only, I think it's only actually like the the '70s weekend, isn't it? Um, it's like it's like a. Yeah. Are, you, are you listening to the Super Sense of the Seventies Weekend? Like they're doing like a okay, marathon, yeah. I think something like that. It's like yeah. an oldie station, what they're doing, yeah. But uh, in any case, Master and Commander. Listen, I, you know I love Master and Commander. I think yeah. it's one of the better movies of the twenty first century. Um, as for the soundtrack, technically Mozart, Bach, Boccherini. Those those are there's an old rule. A, a way to lock those things together. There's because they're older songs. There's an old rule of thumb. Uh huh. That says if it ain't baroque, don't fix it. Oh but they don't God. tell you what to do if it is baroque. Fix and, it. Okay, well then I guess I can't. I have to veto this. No, it's fine. I I came very very close uh, to picking um, a soundtrack that was very near and dear to me as a kid. But I thought it was it's fair, but it's almost cheating because it's all music by one of the greatest composers who ever lived, and that was the uh, score to Am- uh, the soundtrack to Amadeus. Uh, that would be a little bit of a cheat. It's a um, little bit of a cheat. It's not, but well, it, was, because they're not. Most of them aren't songs. Mm-hmm. They're orchestral compositions, which is more in common, really, with yeah, scoring, most of the scores yeah. than anything else. Uh, there are a lot of soundtracks that could open the door for me if I chose mm-hmm. that. I decided it's pushing it a smidge, but I love mm-hmm. that soundtrack. I listened to it all the time when I was like five. <laughs> Loved it to pieces. Yeah, Amadeus was, was the first movie I remember seeing in a theater. Nice. And uh, it really left an impression on me. The, um, the the one I was tempted to include and decided not to was Pink Floyd's The Wall. Oh, yeah. Because that was a record first. Yeah. They kind of, like, backward engineered the movie from it. Yeah. And I can't really say, oh, The Wall is a great movie soundtrack. It's a great record that yeah. has a great movie about There's it. a couple of those that I, I'm not sure if you're going to pick them or not because I know we have sometimes similar tastes. So I'm not going to uh-huh. jump ahead to them. But there's a couple of movies where I vetoed them for similar reasons because uh, they are also an album yeah. on their own. Uh, but we may or may not get to those. Um, for my first pick, I'm going to pick a film that I was one of my favorite films as a kid. It definitely has elements that are worth criticizing today. But the the soundtrack isn't just great. The soundtrack is very distinct, also very playful. It is very much of its time, but the songs are used in unexpected, sometimes funny, sometimes haunting ways. And what is very distinct about this soundtrack is that it was never released as a soundtrack, even though everyone loves this soundtrack. Is this Highlander? No, I love that soundtrack, but no, I'm talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is filmed by John Hughes, um, and it's a story of a guy who hates high school, who can't relate... And has decided to take the most epic day off ever, and everything either goes right and it's magical, or it goes wrong, but he finds a way to solve the problem in an incredibly, like, over-the-top, awesome way. It is a film about white privilege. Let's not pretend it, otherwise. It, it is about it. He uh, can get away with this because he and his friends are rich, and their parents hmm. are in a position to not give a shit. And, I mean, that, the, that and is- the villain is the person who literally just 
wants him to go to detention for skipping school, which is not even unreasonable. <laughs> it's not unreasonable. It's actually perfectly... Un- like, you hate the guy, but, like, also, I mean, kinda. Well, but that's a big part of the movie, is their yeah. wealth is kind of a trap for these kids. They're mm-hmm. privileged. They can do these things like drive fast cars yeah. and infiltrate fancy restaurants and, and get away with interrupting a parade like they, yeah. they can just sort of interrupt and, <laughs> and turn it into Don Quixote by uh, Wayne Newton yeah. followed uh, by uh, uh, Twist and Shout Twist by, by the Beatles yeah. uh, the Beatles version of Twist and Shout and yeah. um, but w- what happens at the end they destroy the car like they, they resent do. the well, fact that they're kind of well and they even say you know we're gonna leave this mm-hmm. nest pretty soon and we're kind of looking forward to that we may as well just trash it while we can well this the thing that i think makes the film if the film still works and i hope it does mm-hmm. I, I realize that certain generational divides happen and sometimes movies that work for one generation are less effective for different generations with different sensibilities this may very well be one of them i still think there's good stuff in it regardless but maybe it's not a timeless classic um i think what really helps the movie work today if it does is the subplot with cameron played by alan ruck who yeah. i believe has been on the succession lately so that's probably what most people yeah. know him from um, he's had a, a, a long, varied, oh, yeah. and, and successful career. He, he has. He's never really been like a leading man, but he's just been in everything, and mm-hmm. he's always been reliable and great. And his whole thing is his parents are rich, but they're detached. They don't seem to like him very much. They're clearly at least somewhat emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. And the wealth is really lorded over him to the extent that he realizes that his dad loves his car more than he loves his son. Yeah, And I think that that shows the darker side of what we're talking about. And yeah, it ultimately doesn't become the main point of the movie, but it's there, which I appreciate. It's yeah. not entirely a, I, like I a think, vapid, shallow movie. I think that is a big part of the movie. Though. It is. Yeah. It is. I just think it, it ultimately it feels more, you know, cheerful, getting away with murder kind of thing. Yeah, but there is a real you know emotional core to that film. That's mm-hmm. what I responded to. But... Uh, John Hughes, he did a lot of great soundtracks. The soundtrack to Some Kind of Wonderful almost made my list mm-hmm. as well. Um, he had a great ear for music. He really had like his finger on the pulse of like what was like cool on the radio at the time. But with Ferris Bueller, he wasn't interested in making a great soundtrack. I think that's why he made him make a great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Because the songs aren't designed to go together. They're designed to go with the specific scene. And sometimes they go in some really unexpected uh, uh, ways. There is a cover of The Smiths, uh, Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want, which is an absolutely beautiful... it would be the first time. An absolutely beautiful song in its original Mm. form. And there's a cover by the Dream Academy that is purely orchestral. And that's what's playing when they go to a museum. And the entire tone of the movie shifts and actually becomes like really classy and sweet and I don't know if you could get away with that in a movie with a less eclectic soundtrack that had to all like kind of tie in together and sound of a piece. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan, and I boy do I wish this would be released on its own. But to the best of my knowledge, it never has been. Uh, the um, uh, the the final foot chase in the movie, where Ferris Bueller is running across town through various backyards, over fences. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edgar Wright has done a parody of this in like three of his movies. Yeah. Um, trying to beat uh, his parents' home so they don't realize that he's been skipping school is done to a, a version of uh, the Beats song Rotating Heads without any of the lyrics called March of the Swivel Heads. To the best of my knowledge, that has never been released on its own. That is only part of the movie. <laughs> and it is 
awesome lead. I don't know. Just seriously, the decision to... It would have worked with the lyrics. Mm. It would have been fine. And you can listen to the lyrics and the song kicks ass. But to actually hear it like without it is just such a perfect, interesting choice. You have that great... Um, uh, which one is it? Like, bow, bow. Oh, it's, I, it's it's called it's just called oh yeah oh yeah and uh, and it's by Yellow it's uh, they're a Swiss yeah. Swiss electronica collective that is the ultimate oh look at that sexy car song mm. <laughs> because you hear that song and you think yeah I want to have sex with that car that'd be great if you listen to the, the song there yeah. I mean there's not like lyrics in the song it's mm-hmm. mostly just like grunting yeah. and noises that's what it, it evokes a feeling you know. Uh, They've said, Yellow, that that's about the sun and the moon. Yeah. The sun, beautiful. The moon, even more beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Look up Yellow at some point. Those yeah. are some weird guys. Yeah, And, yeah, and yeah. they put out, like, 30 records. It's wonderful. Yeah. No, just seriously, just, like, you watch the movie, and there's such distinct, interesting choices. And, yeah, the songs don't go together. That's mm. what makes them work in the movie. And even though you can't get the soundtrack, you could put it together on YouTube for the most part. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to, and you could listen to like a, a Spotify playlist and put it together. But what I think is cool about it is every single needle drop in that movie is memorable. Mm. And you can place that's the scene where they like uh, that's the scene where like Ferris Bueller like gets up and takes a shower. Yeah. Is that like was it like Love Missile or something like that? Um, I'm looking. Oh, at, yeah, right. I, I forgot. I have it right in front of me. Yeah, yeah. The song is yeah, Love Missile F111 uh, by Sig Sig Sputnik. Uh, by Sig Sig Sputnik. Uh, hmm. It's great. <laughs> uh, anyway, I love the pieces. I know every single needle drop by heart, and I associate them with the film. But they also are great songs on their own. So yeah. I love very good. Um, I have. I also have a teen romance oh. on on my list. Well, I guess John Hughes wrote teen romances. Ferris Bueller's not a romance uh, per it's not, se. It's but, not a romantic element. Yeah, um, it's it's not about the romance. No, no, no. Um, I feel like there was there were a few filmmakers, especially of that era, who really knew how to construct a soundtrack. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't include Cameron Crowe. Mm. Um, Cameron Crowe, first of all, had great fucking taste in pop music. Uh, yeah, because he started off as a rock critic. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I, this is not for singles, but the listen to singles. Great Pearl, Pearl Jam is in singles. If you want to know, if you want to know, like sort of a, a big flashpoint in the grunge movement, listen to the sound, the, the single soundtrack. Well, just watch um, singles and just realize that's a movie that could only have been made in what was it, 91? 92, 92. It came 92. out. Yeah. I could, I could own, 92 is the only year that could have produced the movie uh, singles. Yeah, there's like a three month period that movie could have come out, and it did. <laughs> We're lucky to have it because singles is great. Yeah. Um, but what he knew to do is populate his movies with characters who also had great taste in music. So yeah. if they're just hanging out at a party, the songs they're listening to speak a lot about their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like a lot of um, a lot of uh, music supervisors just sort of throw in pop hits, sure. and they're like innocuous, random kind of generic pop. Well, hits. because it's like the filmmaker telling the story is choosing the songs, mm-hmm. or worse, the marketing department is. When certain filmmakers know that the music that the characters are listening to is chosen by them. Yeah. And even if it doesn't reflect the scene, it reflects those characters and the best music supervisors working on movies that understand how to do music supervision. Yeah. Incorporate that into the decision making process. I I saw the movie uh, Valley Girl for the first time recently. I've still never uh, seen that. I know it's, it's quite good. I've um, heard it's a classic. It's, yeah. it's it, I don't know but, how uh, I got through the eighties without it, but I did. The 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 Valley Girl. They're in the yeah. valley. They're at this house party, and this is they're supposed to be like sort of like the rich snobs, and they fall. Uh, she falls in love with 
a guy from Hollywood. Uh, no. So like way outside of the valley. And he's into sort of like cooler music. He's more of a punker guy. Yeah. Uh, she is at a party and she says, hey, let's leave this party. It's really lame. They're listening to Sparks at the party. Like Sparks <laughs> is this quirky, weird, off to the side band. Like actually really interesting. Yeah. The cool kids are listening to Sparks and they go over and I think they're listening to like OMD or something. Uh, little bit irresponsible there. Right. Cameron Crowe say anything, which is my actual ah, choice. Good choice. Uh, has all of the right song. Like they go to parties and they're listening to Cult of Personality by Living Color yeah. in 1989. Like that's when it was uh, new and cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then of course they're they're listening to stuff on the radio. They're listening to Cheap Trick. They're listening to Depeche Mode, and uh, like all of these things are sort of feeding into the the milieu of these young people and the kind of drink. music they listen to and of course everybody knows Peter Gabriel's in your eyes because when uh Lloyd Dobler yeah. and uh, um I only sky uh, I, uh, Diane is her name oh, yeah. when uh L- Lloyd and Diane are uh having they, sex for the first time I think they're losing the virginity it, for the first time uh, yeah they're yeah. they're both having sex for the first time they're in the back of a car on a beach Sorry, uh, making their sexual debut. Sexual debut, excuse me. Apologies. I, I hate lose virginity. Old, yes, it's, that's, it's, that's old, it's old language. burnt in there. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to rewrite that. Sorry uh, about that. But uh, Peter Gabriel, the radio is on. Mm-hmm. And Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes comes on. And that becomes their song. And of course, rather famously, when they're uh, sort of broken up later on in the movie, he's trying to woo her back by hoisting the boombox up above his head and playing In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. I've seen plenty of jokes where uh, he's holding up the boombox, but somebody's altered the soundtrack. Mm. So it's playing like Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead or Dead Puppies by Ogden Edsel, like something really completely inappropriate. Um, That song now is now linked with Say Anything. And it's also because Say Anything is one of the most fucking romantic films of all time. Yeah. Now In Your Eyes is one of the most romantic songs of all time. <laughs> so you can listen to the soundtrack free of the context of the movie, but now you can't anymore. Yeah. I think that's a tribute to a movie that knew how to use that music. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Because that's what Cameron Crowe does. He knows, yeah. he knows music. He knows pop music. He knows the significance of these things. He knows great songs when he hears it. And... Uh, wouldn't you know it, John Cusack is also on it. He has a little rap at the end, so there's like some film dialogue. Uh, the, the the late '80s and throughout the entirety of the '90s, mm. you got just a, a, a tidal wave of great soundtracks. Whether or not the movies were good, because soundtracks were big business at the time, so studios would actually put a lot of time, energy, and money mm. into licensing a lot of these songs. Uh, and I feel like. Something like Say Anything was the thing that cracked that open. There were hit soundtracks before, of course. Oh, there have always been, been hit soundtracks. Well, but, kind uh, of. The, the way that we think of a hit soundtrack now or mm. is, um, uh, in terms, especially in terms of jukebox, the idea that mm. songs were collected to be put onto this uh, soundtrack, that's newer than you might realize back mm. when like sound movies started uh, coming into fruition. It, it took them a while to realize you could just throw a pre-existing pop recording yeah. Into the movie, and it wasn't until well, we had trailblazers like uh, Kenneth Anger, the, the dearly departed uh, Kenneth Just Anger. passed away in his 90s, Kenneth uh, Anger. Yeah, uh, who, whose short films that, 
incorporated pop music in unusual and ironic ways, would go on to influence filmmakers like Martin Scorsese, who would mm. make, turn the idea of jukebox soundtracks into something that is just such a mm. common everyday part of the vernacular, we forget to question where that came from. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't always. Yeah. I think the idea of what we're thinking of... I goes back to the late fifties at the earliest. Yeah, I was thinking like yeah. Elvis, maybe around then. Elvis, but, Beatles, mm. a few of those. Yeah, uh, I I would put Vel, uh, um, Kenneth Anger's Scorpio Rising on my list, yeah. but there's no record for Scorpio Rising. Well, I picked Ferris Bueller and I decided to let that go. So oh. you could if you wanted. It's not too late. Well, I suppose so. I could cha- change up my list. What do I next to include Scorpio Rising? It's up. To, it's it's your call mm. entirely. You know, I'm, I'm not going to include Scorpio Rising. Okay, we'll uh, just... Just, uh, just uh, know that Scorpio Rising has maybe one of the most important soundtracks yes, uh, uh, of all time. Yes, influential, yeah. The idea of uh, repurposing pop songs to uh, comment on the content of your movie. In a way that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the original intention of the song. No, no, no. Like, um, that was very revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. The, the idea of, like, including standards on a soundtrack, that's actually an old musical practice as well, not just movies. Um, mm-hmm. Look at, like, if, if you look at some of the earlier musicals of Cole Porter. Yeah. Uh, he wrote songs that didn't necessarily go with the musical. They just had the songs around, and then he just sort of put them on as showcases within this larger story. Yeah. Uh, they didn't necessarily fit into that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... As such, you kind of have a jukebox musical into itself. It's more like a, a review than yeah. it is a story that's being told. That didn't happen until later in musical history. Anyway, so um, doing that in a movie is fair game. All right, we should move on. Uh, are you are you good? Have you said your piece about saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's great. It didn't make mm-hmm. my list, but it's great. Uh, I'm going to take you on a journey now to the 1990s, and in the 1990s, mm-hmm. soundtracks became very different beasts. They became such an important part of so many motion pictures. Uh, ancillary campaigns, not just the film, but the selling other stuff related to the film, that it was not uncommon for a soundtrack to be more popular than the movie yeah, to, itself. In fact, to make more money than the movie. They could, uh, they could recoup losses that, on a film. That was relatively rare, but it was weird that it ever happened. Like, that's Ooh, a very unusual. Table. Sorry Stop doing that. that. Um, we're recording in a different area, so if it sounds a little different, we yeah. have different... <laughs> Uh, different, different audio modes. setup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, we had to we had to record differently today. Anyway, um, so in the '90s, we started getting a lot more emphasis on it. soundtracks. Soundtracks featuring new songs that could then be transformed into tie-in music videos and sell a whole bunch of singles based on that. Uh, and I, I don't have a lot of '90s. I have a few on my list, mm. but I think the ultimate '90s soundtrack. It's not my number one, but it's the ultimate 90s soundtrack in a lot of ways. Is a is one that frankly shouldn't work. Okay. Like seriously, when you hear when you think about ignore what you know about the movie, when you just hear, okay, you're gonna do a movie about that, and then the soundtrack will include <laughs> uh uh hold on a second. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm waiting. You you've you've set yeah. it up so well. Yeah, the soundtrack will include people like like U2 and the Flaming Lips and Seal. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And you get the soundtrack to Batman Forever. Uh-huh. Now, the first two Batman movies had soundtracks, and mm. we may even be talking about more of them in the future, I don't know. But uh, they were much more focused on their score telling the story. 
The score by Danny Elfman, which is very iconic and excellent in both of those movies. Well, Batman had two soundtracks because there was the Danny Elfman yes. score, and then there was a Prince record. I'm get. I'm. We may or may not get to that. Uh, <laughs> but the 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 point is that the actual movie itself, mm. there are a couple of songs in there, but generally speaking, Danny Elfman's doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah. In the in the sound, um, when Joel Schumacher took over. Batman went from this weird couple of movies where Tim Burton got to do whatever the fuck Tim Burton wanted under a studio system and the movie we were making money so that Warner Brothers couldn't say no, to Tim Burton left and Joel Schumacher was much more of a team player with the studio and was much more willing to make the movie more poppy, mm-hmm. in, you know, in terms of that just... Populist Mark- entertainment, marketable, yeah, yeah. It, it, lose a lot of the gothic na- uh, nature of it. Stop making it seem like it's from a German expressionist movie. Start making it seem like the movie was filmed in Las Vegas. A lot of neon, um, a lot more uh, sort of punk and alt rock sensibility. And part of that kind of fits the piece. You got the incorporation of Robin into Batman Forever, uh, a younger personality, a bit more uh, contemporary, mm. angry personality, someone who doesn't necessarily carry the weight of decades of pain on their shoulders. Uh, and I think that's part of it. Uh, but also, Joel Schumacher gave a few less fucks. And as a result... Well, he, we he, got, was, he was selling cool rather yeah, than dark. Exactly. He was selling cool. And to be fair... Batman Forever is kind of cool. It's very slick. Mm. The cinematography is sexy. <laughs> like, my God. Val Kilmer, Nicole Kidman, two of um. the most beautiful people on the planet in their prime, even today, like, they they are never prettier <laughs> than they were in that movie. Uh, everything that could be Dayglow was. Like, it was like just... neon striping yeah. on everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, he knew every single look Jim Carrey had made Jim Carrey for and the, Jim Carrey was the buffoon of the day after Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura oh, and The Mask he was a hit maker those, those, hit those maker. three movies yeah. were all came out in 94 I realize that like, but those movies were very very much in the oh he's the new Jerry Lewis yeah kind of vibe and then you see Batman Forever and it's like but he's also very fuckable. Like, <laughs> like you realize, like, oh, he's he is actually super hot. Okay, thank you, Joel Schumacher. Um, Put him in the, the green body stocking, yeah. and he somehow rocks it. Yeah, and then like, and then when he like cleans up a bit and starts like dressing more like Bruce Wayne, he can sell it, and you realize he actually would have been like good in that kind of role if he was the kind of actor who could play it, for lack of a better word, straight. Um, so these, funny word for such a queer ass movie. <laughs> very, very, very queer movie, actually. But uh, and I love it. Mm. I love it to pieces. It's, it's like, a lot it's of fun. Su- super bisexual. It's that super movie. bisexual. It's it's a, it's kind of stupid in its plotting, and there's a lot I don't like about it. But the overall aesthetic, Joel Schumacher mm. did something different, and I think it's fun. And the new emphasis on having a soundtrack that was like specifically designed to be cool. To be the coolest soundtrack. And normally, what I would think a film studio would put together for a soundtrack in the mid-90s that's supposed to be cool would be the least cool thing imaginable. (laughs) It would be the exact opposite of cool. And yet, like, who who do they get for this? They got PJ Harvey. They got Brandy. They got Massive Attack. They got Mazzy Star. They got The Offspring. They got Nick Cave. They got Method Man. 
Like, holy, flaming lips. Holy shit, that's a good soundtrack. And a lot of them are used very memorably in the movie. Uh, my favorite one, besides, listen, once the movie ends and Seal starts singing that song, which was not written for the movie, so there mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't eligible for the Oscars, as everyone assumed it would be. Uh, but once that, once you hear Kiss from a Rose, you're like, oh, this song is, all, this movie is all about just introducing us to this song. <laughs> like, it does, if the movie sucked, it would be okay mm. because it introduced us to this song, which was not a hit before this. How did we screw that up so bad? It's like uh, uh, when Benny and June introduced America to the Proclaimers. Because yeah. that song, 500 Miles, which, you know, in America they were a one-hit wonder. Uh, over, over across the pond, in Scotland, huge hit yeah, machine. Yeah. They are, and all of them are great. Anyway. Um, Wait, the Proclaimers are Scottish? <laughs> yes. I, I remember if, when if I was you a listen kid. To, if you listen to their songs, they're like assertively Scottish. I remember when I was a kid and I didn't know who the Proclaimers were. And mm-hmm. I only knew Benny and June. And I saw the music video that was tied into the yeah. movie. It had clips from Benny and June in it. Where uh, yeah. the one guy looks like Greg Proops and the other guy looks like the other Greg Proops. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, when I first saw that music video, I thought they were doing like a cute visual effect. Like the oh. guy was doing a duet <laughs> they're, with himself. They're, they're twin brothers. No, like, yeah, no they're yeah. twin brothers. It was yeah. like, oh, okay. That that really makes it a lot easier to do that effect. Gre- Greg Proops used to come out on stage and says, hello, thank you for coming to my show. I'm the Proclaimers. <laughs> uh, but in any case, I, I love... The use of flaming lips because that's mm. the one we actually get to see uh, Edward Nigma, the Riddler, in his home. Scene, yeah, yeah. And the song, and he lives in like an abandoned so like amusement so. park, or like he yeah. lives in this cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's basically, and it's it's a really good choice of the song. The song is about uh, how all of your bad days will end, and it's kind of a demented number in mm. a lot of ways, and it sells that version of the character quite beautifully. It's really, really awesome. Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. I'm not the biggest U2 fan, but that song fucking kills. Excuse me, you're not the biggest U2 fan? I'm not the biggest U2 fan. How U2? Dare, how dare you? Oh, you, how dare not, you? not U2. Everybody's the best, biggest U2 fan. Uh, listen, there's there's U2 songs that U- I love. U2 there's also U2 like, songs I'm like, eh. I, I, I like early U2. I'm going to be that hipster sure. asshole. I like early, I prefer early U2. For the early stuff, before they went electronic. Uh, mm-hmm. Their electronic stuff is before, Basically uh, everything before they did the Tomb Raider soundtrack. <laughs> And uh, they were recently declared, like, one of the most hated bands of all time, what? U2. Because of that whole, like, iPhone debacle. Oh, that. Like, yeah, that they, was annoying. They were just they, people, just... they just automatically downloaded U2 into people's phones whether like they a, wanted a new to or not. Like a new record, yeah. And they thought people would be grateful. It's like, no, that's actually kind of weird and creepy. You kind of just invaded our privacy. You just get a free U2 record. I, think I that's get fine, that, but, but you should have yeah. at least been able to say no if you wanted to. And mm-hmm. that, the idea that we weren't able to opt out felt a little mm-hmm. weird. I guess so. Yeah. You're, you're looking at a YouTube poster right now. I'm literally looking at a YouTube right now, poster yeah. where I guess you went to see them in Pasadena. Uh, I did not. My, uh, my wife did. She okay. has much better taste in music than I do. All right. Well, in any case, listen, I, I'm all about discotheque. Discotheque rules. Um, I don't know if that's funny even. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even know if that's a funny joke and like people don't like that album. I just know it's not the one that usually comes I think it's Zeropa, which is the one that you should oh, not like. That's, that's Zeropa the... not supposed to like Zeropa? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so they should have used make, that for the soundtrack to Zootopia. Then that would have been funny. Anyway, should have got you two to like voice yeah. the characters. That'd be great. <laughs> that would have been cool. Starring Bono and um, What I think is the, the last thing I'll say about this uh, this soundtrack. And if you've never heard it in its entirety, listen to it. It rips. Um, they tried to f- capture lightning in a bottle again with the Batman and Robin soundtrack. 
Yeah. And there's a couple of good songs on that soundtrack. I particularly enjoy that Smashing Pumpkins did two versions of the same song. Okay. Uh, it was one was the end is the beginning is the end, and the other one is the beginning is the end is the beginning. Right. And the more downbeat version was ended up uh, uh, on the the trailer to Zack Snyder's The Watchmen. Oh my Which god. Which I thought was actually pretty bold. They're going <laughs> to use a song from one of the most universally reviled comic book movies ever to sell an adaptation of one of the most universally acclaimed mm. comic book stories ever. And I had to mm. admit, he had some cheek. <laughs> Alright? That's that's a cheeky mm. thing to do. Good for you on that. But for me, that soundtrack will always be crap. And this is before I even knew. Mm. For the R. Kelly song. Yeah. The R. Kelly song, Gotham City has always been shit. And I will def- I will say this right now because the lyrics of that song include uh, City of Justice, City of Love, City of Peace for every one of us. And I'm like, do you literally know nothing about Gotham City? Uh, it's peaceful now, now that uh, Batman made it the safest city in the world. Then it should be the soundtrack for after the franchise, not right. during. Anyway, I've said my piece. The great thing about uh, all, of, all those 90s soundtracks is you could get a great soundtrack out of a really shitty movie. Oftentimes uh, you did. Yeah. Um, look up the soundtrack to Roland Emmerich's Godzilla at some point. Some cool songs some, on some, that. Some, some, good, some bangers on that one. Tell me um, you didn't pick that, though, that soundtrack. Pardon? Tell me you didn't pick that. Soundtrack. I did not pick okay. Godzilla. Nor, <laughs> did, to say. <laughs> nor did I pick, nor did I pick uh, the soundtrack for the movie Dead Man on Campus. Which is also which was, weirdly good. Uh, the, the the movie is like well it's, it, well, it's pointedly tasteless. The yeah. uh, the idea is uh, these two college bros are failing all of their classes. They're they're partying too hard mm. and they kind of resent that they're partying too hard. But they hear, they hear that if your roommate mm-hmm. kills themselves, mm-hmm. you get straight A's. So they try to find a really despondent roommate in the hope that they will commit suicide. And it's a comedy film. Yeah, it's and it's a dark uh, comedy, and they're trying to go. It's, and it's supposed to be, a, like, you know, it's late late nineties. Yeah. They're trying to be a little edgy about it. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's also just really quite bad. Like it's not funny. No, it's it's like yeah. you would think they could make sort of like a, a fun, shocking comedy out of that. But yeah. no, um, no, you need you need a more talented uh, filmmaker, I think, to like you know, yeah, someone with like a Heather's vibe. I forgot who even made that movie. Yeah. It was, there was a, there was an actually like bloke. a. There was actually like a creepy thriller version of that that came out around the same time, starring Carrie Russell and Matthew Lillard. Uh, oh, what that, was that movie? It was called um, Dead Man's Curve. Sometimes it was just called The Curve. The Curve, yeah, I remember yeah, that one. Depending on where, depending, yeah. I saw it on cable as one thing, and I saw it on home video as right. something else. Um, it's better than that. Okay, it's not great, but it's better than that. I don't know. I don't have any memories whatsoever of the soundtrack, though. So what's the but, next? Uh, what's the next one we're talking? But about? yeah, uh, dead. But just Dead Man on Campus had like Elastica and yeah. Blur and uh, Marilyn Manson covering David Bowie and the Dust Brothers yeah. and Power Man Five Thousand. Like they they were really going going all out for Dead Man on Campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to choose a '90s soundtrack. I'm, I'm shocked based on that preamble. Yeah, uh, and some soundtrack records were a little bit more ambitious than others mm-hmm. where they incorporated bits of the score they incorporated in pop songs they also incorporated bits of dialogue so the record itself became almost this media experiment yeah and uh and wouldn't you know it trent reznor was great at this because he made two that were really excellent one mm-hmm. of them was natural born killers yes and the other one was lost highway and i'm choosing lost highway oh i'm so glad yeah. you did okay, okay. yes yes because uh, that was one of my ones i'm like do i have room for lost highway We've got to cover no matter what. Thank okay, you so yeah. Much. Um, Lost Highway is a great fucking soundtrack. Lost Highway, Lost Highway is a nightmare. Like you can't, oh, yeah. you can't listen to the soundtrack in the dark. Like it's, 
It it's uh it starts with that really wonderful uh David Bowie song. Funny or, how yeah. secrets travel. It's it's, uh, it's called I'm deranged. Yeah. But, uh, um uh, yeah, that's when he like was moving into that kind of creepy yawning sound yeah. that he was into I mean, in the, was, in the late nineties. I feel like he might have been a little inspired by Trent Reznor. He listened to some like, well, I'm afraid of Americans, which has well, Trent Reznor. Involved. Trent Reznor is, yeah. is in the video. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like there's some actual direct like I want to try to do that. Yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah, but uh, so we work. in between these like really creepy soundtrack cues from mm-hmm. Angelo Badalamenti, mm-hmm. um, there's also songs from. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor is in there. Mm. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins is in there. Yeah, uh, there's a really wonderful cover of This Magic Moment by Lou Reed. Oh yeah, that's a great. Yeah, cover. Um, this was this was the album that introduced a lot of people in America to Rammstein. Yeah, Rammstein yeah. was not a big thing in America until Lost Highway. Uh, use and the trailer was a big part of this because even if you didn't see the movie, the movie wasn't a huge hit. But you probably saw the trailer, and the trailer featured Rammstein and mm. just that rum. Stein, <laughs> something, yeah. something. I don't know the rest of the lyrics, but it was like really. When the, what was cool about that kind of branding for Rammstein? Hirox Mishes, yeah, yeah. What's cool about that kind of branding for Rammstein is that if you didn't know the name of the band, you would be like, "Oh, who does that one song, Rammstein?" And, <laughs> and then you would you would ask like, "Oh, can you tell me where I can find Rammstein?" Actually, yes, I can. That's very easy because it's Rammstein. <laughs> oh, I love Duhast. You know that means you hate, right? Well, Duhast. Do hast me, you hate me. Yeah. Well, then I love you hate me. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's a, that song also kicks ass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's difficult to sell just the pop songs and the soundtrack because the soundtrack is full and yeah. it also includes bits of the score. So I'm not yeah. sure if this counts. Under I'm gonna let it go rules, because but... it's it, there's a lot of actual songs on there. Yeah. Trent Reznor's song "Perfect Drug" was actually a breakaway single. The music yeah. video for that's very creepy. Well, and. Yeah. Uh, I think if you t- were to take Lost Highway and Natural Born Killers sort of as this this media experiment unit, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see some really interesting things being done with soundtrack records. I'm surprised mm-hmm. that's not done more, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, where they don't... In, uh, they did this with the Clerks soundtrack as well, yeah. where they, they put in, like, bits of dialogue throughout, well, so you get a little bit more context, or you just get, like, funny bits to remind you of the movie. And they would do that, like, Reservoir Dogs had dialogue from the movie yeah. as well on their soundtrack. It used to be, back before home video was a thing, that you used to be able to get soundtracks or even just recordings of movies like on vinyl Hmm. and you could go home and you could listen to pretty much the entirety of Monty Python on the Holy Grail you know like the actual movie like the comedy bits so hmm. like this was not altogether uncommon it's kind of dead now because it's a little you know most people don't really asking for it because you can get just the actual movie now but yeah there's a lot of movies that are interesting kind of hybrid experiments in Hmm. that regard um but yeah, the Lost Highway soundtrack. First off, I love Lost Highway. <laughs> Lost Highway was a movie that it, made it was. Me... It got a lot of really bad reviews when it came out, but uh, it, I, I, it got it such was, bad it was... reviews that it actually it actually advertised two thumbs down. Two yeah. more reasons to go see Lost Highway it was actually on like the <laughs> newspaper ads. Yeah, they were very proud of it. Um, but I loved that movie. That movie mm-hmm. was such an incredible. That was like one of the first like kind of puzzle box movies where like. You know it makes sense, but you're not entirely sure how the pieces fit together. And mm-hmm. David Lynch is very specific about that. Yeah. He talks about this specifically in regards to this movie. He said there is a definite way that Lost Highway makes sense, but I took out the clues. <laughs> All the things that connect one thing to another so that you can tell what's going on, I took those mm-hmm. pieces out. But it's a story of uh, Bill Pullman is a jazz, uh, jazz musician, and he's married to Patricia Arquette, and their marriage is loveless and shitty. Uh, and then one day he is at a party, 
and he runs into <laughs> Robert Blake in this creepy white mm-hmm. face, and he says, "Oh, hey, we've met before, haven't we?" Also, Robert Blake is playing a character. Also, that's, hey, that's to Robert Blake. <laughs> yikes! But anyway, uh, this is before we. That's before any of this stuff it's, happened. Yeah, it's but, before we knew. Yeah. Right? Um, but it's a creepy scene where he says, uh, "We've met before, haven't we?" It was at your house. In fact, I'm there right now. <laughs> Call me. And he calls his house, and Robert Blake is there at the house as well. It says, put me on That's the phone. Like, I told you I was here. <laughs> You're like, oh, God. And then it turns out he comes home, and his wife is dead, and now he has been accused of the murder, and he goes to jail, and he's on death row. Mm. And then one day he wakes up, and now he's Balthazar Getty, a completely different character, who is a car mechanic, who falls in love with a different Patricia Arquette, who is the girlfriend <laughs> of a gangster played by <laughs> Robert Loggia, who kills people if they tailgate him on the highway. And somehow this makes sense. Maybe. And I love it. It's bizarre. And the soundtrack is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. It's such a good soundtrack. I'm so glad you picked it. it, it yeah. But it, it, it's a little nightmare of a soundtrack, oh, it's too. It's, it's not something you really groove to. No, there, no. It's a tone piece. Yeah. I, I feel like... Um, now, I'm... I, I'm a 44-year-old you're 44 year old man. I can't mm. even say my own age. I'm that old. Uh, and um, I don't have my finger on the pulse. You know, my, my time for that is quite a few years in the past. Yeah. But uh, from the samples of I've heard of a lot of modern pop, um, we just passed through this era where everything was very moody and very kind of downbeat. There were a lot of, like... Uh, um, Depressive kind of love songs, the Adele kind mm. of uh, Lord school kind thing. of vibe, yeah. very very low key, and and a, and a lot of key. and a lot of uh, vocals right now are very sort of. There's a lot of vocal fry. Baby, I think I think I'm in love with you. Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> Look, this is just an old man complaining. Point is. Pop music goes through moods. It does. It goes through cycles. And in the late 90s, we were fucking angry. Yeah. There was a lot of angry music. Oops. You look at uh, grunge of the 1990s, a lot of it is very disaffected mm-hmm. and, and disappointed with the world. Uh, you look, This is when you know, Metallica and a lot of the metal stuff was getting really aggressive. Uh That unfortunately kind of turned into like the, the whiny white, go, white guy rap metal kind of shit. The new metal stuff that I really hate. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for a while there... We were in a dark mood. We were in a bit of a bit of a dark place when it came to pop music. This, yeah. you know, Nine Inch Nails was a hit band. It was a huge that should have been outside. Was a hit band. You know, these were yeah, these like big acts at the I, time. That's what I love about the nineties. I love about that about the nineties for its music and its cinema. Um, there was room for a lot of shit that would never have been mainstream in any other decade to go mainstream. And that's a weird alchemy. I don't think we fully appreciated it at the time. But there was some really cool, really weird stuff that got very, yeah, very popular, and I love mm. that. It, um, it, was, it was it was an eclectic decade. Yeah. I appreciate that about the music well, of the '90s. Based on that uh, segue, I'm actually going to change the. I was going to do something else for my next pick, but I'm going to follow that because that's a really good lead into my next pick. Okay, which is another '90s soundtrack, another angry soundtrack, but also a very funereal soundtrack and quite literally in a lot of ways uh, because it's the soundtrack to the original The Crow. <laughs> Never has a 90s more 90s. 
Kind of than on the soundtrack to the Crow. The, sound, the Crow was the absolute like gothiest '90s album. It was mm. like the soundtrack to the Lost Boys grew up a little. Like, and that's <laughs> I almost <laughs> picked the Lost Boys. I love the Lost Lo- Boys. Soundtrack. Lost Boys is fourteen. Yeah, Crow is sixteen. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 soundtrack. That's a lot, they got Cure and the Helmet and Nine Inch Nails again. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah, there's no, there's, well there's a Joy they, Division cover. There is. There by is. Nine Inch Nails. I forgot about that. Uh, remember how fucking cover. 90s it was? Yeah, no, they had The Cure. It had the awesome song from Stunt Double Pilots, Big Empty. Um, they had Rage Against the Machine, The Violent Femmes, mm. Pantera, uh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, Jesus and Mary Chain. That's a hell of a lineup. And that is a very... Very moody lineup. <laughs> the Crow is a space on a comic book by James Obar. It was written, I think, his, his girlfriend or his wife died, and he wrote uh, a comic book that was basically a revenge fantasy in which he came back from the dead and as this like Im- immortal goth rocker with a raven mm. as a sorry a crow, a crow as a as a sidekick mm. uh, with like the painted on face his, of like the tragedy mask. His, his name was Eric. Draven. Get it? Because it sounds like Eric Draven. De- He's a right? Raven. Eric Crow was right there. But anyway. Um, what was... was Con- Constantine Wizardson taken? <laughs> um, I, I don't want to mock the comic because it comes from a very like dark, dreary place. But then it got turned into a movie and the movie was obviously done in kind of like a post-Batman kind of like arch German expressionist mold. And then... A gigantic, unexpected, and really, really tragic uh, new layer got added to it when the film star, Brandon Lee, uh, died while making the movie. There was uh, the prop department screwed up big time. And a gun that was supposed to be shooting him, I believe it was his death scene, um, was supposed to have a blank in it. But a blank still fires stuff. You're not supposed to like be right in front of a blank. Like mm-hmm. that can be really, really dangerous. There's and still an explosion. Just, yeah, a blank. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like oh, I just fired him with a. I, I shot him in the head, but it's okay. It was a blank. Yeah. Maybe if you were 20 feet away, mm-hmm. but there was apparently like a bit of wadding in there or something. There was some actual projectile a, yeah, that got chunk fired. Or something. And damn it, he was so fucking talented, and he died. And he's amazing in that movie. And they had just enough of the movie filmed that they were able to finish it without him. You can tell when it's not him, but kudos mm. to, to Alex Proyas for making that movie work because it really shouldn't. And there are some people who argue that releasing it at all, considering the movie is about watching that character die, is in poor taste. Mm. Um, I'm, I think there's an argument there, but I don't, I don't personally subscribe to it yeah. because I think it's the story that they wanted to tell and enough of it was completed. Mm. I think if they had had to go the full game of death routine where they only shot like two scenes and they like rewrote the story in order to exploit the tiny bit of footage that they had, I think that was in poor taste. Game of Death is a movie that is in incredibly poor taste. But I think I'm going to give The Crow... I'm going to let The Crow go. All right. Um, The soundtrack to The Crow... Okay. ...is depressed. It's angry. Mm. It's dreary. It's moist. It's it's absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's not. But the soundtrack to the movie Begotten is moist. <laughs> okay, well that's a different kind of moist. Yeah. I I think of the film because the a lot of the film is uh, there's actually even a joke. It can't rain all the time. Like the the city is constantly raining. Mm. It's like it's and like it's, it's like it's God like a, is crying. It's the like a fantasy film. city, right? It's, it's not Detroit. A, 
Oh, it's supposed to be Detroit. It's Detroit, but it's like a fantasy version of Detroit. Okay. Like it's it's extra. It's like dreary. Go- it's demonic. essentially Gotham City. Yeah, 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 basically. And boy, the production design of that movie is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is weirdly appropriate, not just to the material, but also to the to the real life tragedy that there's no levity to it. It's actually very somber and dour, and yet it's full of passion and. It, it, it's not. It's not giving up on anything. It's actually still like trying to tell a great story and an exciting emotional uh, uh, narrative. Um, I think Big Empty is one of my favorite like movie songs. Just period. Um, although I do think it technically was on the album. Was it, I think it was on Purple first. Purple was the about second album, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think it was on T- Purple ten, and then Purple. No, no, it was it was Core. Oh, Core was their first album, wasn't it? Uh, hold on a minute. Purple album. Because <laughs> some of us did Purple, mm. and after Purple, they did Tiny Music. They were my favorite band for a little while. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, I, I know they're a little bit better than most others. See, I think the first album was Core. Purple, Stone Temple Pilots album was the second album. Yes, okay, I'm not crazy. And what, the first album? Because uh, Whitney has hang his on, laptop. Hang on. I'm, 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 I'm looking at Usually, you can here. hear me type on these podcasts, yeah, and I don't have my laptop. I have to record at Whitney's house today. See, yeah, Core was their first. Okay, purple nice. and then Tiny Music. Um, anyway, um, the, the movie is the soundtrack. The character is a musician. The villain lives above a nightclub. Uh, the sound, the, the music that the character wrote is actually an important plot point. Um, and it's just really beautifully and hauntingly incorporated. Uh, it is incredibly 90s. <laughs> but it's also incredible. So I love it to pieces. And uh, we can okay. move on. Um, well, I mean, we can't avoid the night. I mean, you know what? I only have one more soundtrack from the 1990s. Interesting. On my, was... on my list here. So I'll get to it right two. now. And yeah. this one, uh, to sort of prove how eclectic the decade really was in terms uh-huh. of its music... There was uh, there were a lot of revivals during the 1990s. There was a, a swing revival, if you remember, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Squirrel Nut Zippers. And yeah. These kind of whimsical throwback bands. Were re- these retro bands were really big, big business at the time. Uh, thanks to that sort of... Thanks to the success of the movie Swingers, and I'm not choosing the Swingers soundtrack, mm-hmm. although I could easily could have. Yeah, but um, that movie was a big hit. Yeah. And it has a great soundtrack as well. It does. Uh, that is Big Bad Voodoo Daddy on the soundtrack. Because of a movie like that, and just because of the way anything would be let onto the radio in the 1990s, a lot of uh, lounge records from Capitol Records started getting re-released. And I actually have 20-some of the Ultra Lounge CDs yeah, that they put set. out. I love that set. I, and I, it took me years to collect them all, but I got them all. Hmm. And a, a lot of old jazz and blues started to make their way into rotations. And wouldn't you know it, right in the middle of all this... Terry Zweigoff made a documentary film called Crumb about the, oh. about the underground comics artist R. Crumb. That's an interesting choice. Uh, and the soundtrack is 20 soundtracks. And this was back when... 20, soundtrack 20 tracks, you mean? Pardon? It's not 20 soundtracks. 20 some tracks, I said. Oh, oh. sounded like soundtracks. I was like, 12, that's a lot of soundtracks in one movie. 24 uh, tracks on this record. Pretty long. All made up of R. Crumb's record collection. R. Crumb, very eccentric character. Mm-hmm. Uh, drew very strange, incredibly sexual comics uh, that were very popular in the underground. He became this sort of cult figure. Um, has v- 
deeply extensive family issues mm. uh, that he talks about very frankly, a lot of sexual issues that he talks about very frankly, uh, and sort of the things that led to his creativity, sort of his drug experience, the things he loved, and mostly the things he hated. He actually hated mm. a lot about the world. He was defined by the things he hated about the world. Uh, so he retreated. He liked to dress in sort of old-timey clothing and listen to these old-timey records from the 1920s and 30s. 24 tracks hmm. of jazz records from the 20s and 30s? Fuck yes. Just spoon <laughs> it into me. It is amazing. And, yeah. you know, these are not artists I knew before this. And I don't think a lot of artists you know, really know, like... Uh, Geechee Wiley or or Craig Ventresco or David Boninghouse. Like, I don't know who these artists are. <laughs> Just have their names in front of me right now. Um, but yeah, all of these old kind of, these old-timey jazz records that have a very sp- specific, very particular upbeat and yet weirdly, tra- like, this, the music is upbeat, but the words are weirdly tragic. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, like, happy and sad at the same time. Uh, and it kind of slows you down and kind of worms its way into your heart all the, these kinds of old jazz jazz and blues records uh our crumb just had impeccable taste and he decided to inflict it upon us and wouldn't you know it i loved it so great yeah so oh, I, I thought yeah. you're gonna i thought you were gonna continue that sentence okay uh no just just it is great uh crumb <laughs> is a great uh documentary film as well terry's why yeah. i wish he made more movies he's only, he's only yeah. made a couple uh because yeah. he, he did that one he did art school confidential mm-hmm. uh he did uh bad santa mm-hmm. did he do bad santa too he did not do bad santa okay too. No, did, right. did uh, he, he do, did uh, uh he did a, a short a shorter film called louis bluey which you can get on the criterion mm-hmm. collection it's a documentary about a musician yeah. who did ghost uh, world uh, and that was also okay, was about was to, Ghost was, World. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which is one of my favorite films of the 2000s. I love the movie Ghost World. I know you do. That's um, very you. It, it's, you know, kind of, it, it's kind of like a button on 90s alienation. Yeah. Because uh, it came out in 2001, so it's kind of like wrapping that up. And, and Ghost World also has a really good soundtrack, because it also has, it has some of those old uh, jazz and blues uh, records that Terry Zweigoff, as it turns off, is, is also a big fan of, so he and Crumb were able to listen to these record, records together. Mm. But also has that really wonderful uh, Bollywood number. Yeah, it's called John Pejanho, and yeah, uh, yeah j- that, that's why people want the soundtrack to Ghost World. Mm. But yeah, buy the soundtrack to Crumb. Kind of lose yourself in that sea of old and you know, all the old record mm. scratches is there. This kind of weird plaintive vocals that just sort of uh, go throughout all these slow ge- uh, piano pieces, followed by these upbeat banjo numbers. It's just this really good portrait of what a lot of popular records sounded like at the time. And it's yeah. almost lost to a lot of modern ears. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's something to, worth going back and listening to. Well, uh, when you talk about 90s alienation, I th- mm. one of the soundtracks that I think of, perhaps more than anything else, is ironically a soundtrack to a movie about 80s alienation mm. from the 90s. <laughs> and that's a soundtrack to Trainspotting. That's a good choice. That's an excellent choice. Trainspotting was a monster soundtrack. I don't know if there there's, is a there's way multiple to, volumes to this. There are the multiple volumes. I'm specifically talking about the first volume, but you kind of can't go wrong. Um, I don't know if there's a way to properly convey what a ironically shot in the arm uh, train spotting was <laughs> <laughs> when it came out in the '90s. Good choice of words, because uh, train spotting is uh, uh, based on a book by um, Irvin Irvin Welsh. Irvin Welsh, thank you. Um, and it's a story about heroin addicts uh, in England or Scotland, actually. Mm. Um, the, 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 the story travels, you know, throughout the aisle. But um, 
and they, if you the story is the, the book is amazing by the way and it's not very it's not linear at all it's actually every chapter is a different tale about different characters a character who doesn't who has like one line in the movie might have multiple chapters dedicated to them in the book um, how they picked and chose like what to include in the movie and what they left out is I, I, I seriously, they, they, there's a saying in film about like killing your darlings. Like you have to like sometimes leave out something amazing in order to make the complete piece work. Yeah. Like they killed every darling. <laughs> like it's just, they left in so many cool things. There's so many chapters that are just would have been an amazing movie in and of themselves. They left it out. But the movie, even though it is about people who are uh, avoiding their lives in many ways, it is, it, 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 it's full of adrenaline. From the opening sh- scenes, that is just a whole bunch of heroin addicts who've just uh, uh, done some uh, shoplifting, and the cops are chasing them, and it's to the strains of Iggy Pop's "Lust for Life," mm. uh, and it's it's a one of the, one of the great like lines from it is he's talking about how we don't do heroin because heroin sucks, <laughs> like we do heroin because doing heroin. F- feels really good Hmm. and so for huge chunks of the movie when they're on their drugs uh they are living life to the absolute fullest or at least that's how it feels and then the movie will absolutely sink into an abyss when they hit their lowest lows and their their absolute nightmare scenarios happen there's an incredible depiction of an overdose set to lou reed's perfect day uh, mm. That is unforgettable. Uh, there is a detox uh, sequence, which is also incredibly scored. Or I forgot the actual song they used for that one, but that's incredible too. Um, it really does run like a full gamut of experience. And British cinema wasn't doing that at the time. <laughs> even Eddie Izzard even joked about that. She said, uh, like, Room with a view and a staircase and a pond. Yeah. yeah, so we're getting into a train spotting area. It's getting okay. <laughs> um, but uh, train spotting is an absolute just banger of a movie. It's mm. fucking incredible. And the soundtrack reflects that. It is full of excitement and passion and energy, and then also really tranquil moody like kind of relaxing music to dig through a gross toilet to get your to get your drugs back out because he accidentally hmm. went Dro- to the bathroom while they were in, inside of you and you had to get him back out and it's really gross but and yet the music is very relaxing <laughs> it's such a weird choice like the whole sequence is bizarre. I'm very fond of Danny Boyle. I think oh, he's I a really Boyle. interesting uh, filmmaker. Yeah. When, he, when he misses, he can miss really hard. But when he yeah. hits, it's always with energy and verve. Yeah, yeah. and, and I love it to pieces. Um, but yeah, uh, Perfect Day is, a, is an absolute, just absolutely wonderful. Like one of the best uses of a pre-existing song like mm-hmm. in a movie. Just period. Uh, Lust for Life became like, it was already a hit. It became even more iconic to like a new generation because of that. Um also, Iggy Pop and David Bowie's Night Clubbing is fucking great. Uh, Born Slippy, fucking awesome. Born Slippy. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. At, seriously, like, it's an incredible soundtrack. It evokes the, the, the story, the narrative, the characters of the film. It also very much captures a specific era and a group mm-hmm. of people with very specific tastes and very specific uh, uh, emotions going on in their lives at the time. Uh, and, um,. It's a great album of itself, and it's perfect in the movie. So. Yeah. All right. 
Um, I have another one that sort of like captures an, an edge lifestyle. Okay. Uh, but uh, it doesn't have any of that kind of languid, relaxing thing you can slip into. That this is just being like punched in the face repeatedly, kind of a soundtrack. Okay. The movie came out and it tanked. Mm. Uh, but the soundtrack made its way to some local LA stations, and the soundtrack started to get some play. And the soundtrack became such a big hit that the producers were convinced to re-release the movie, and only then mm. did it kind of catch people's attention. Uh, and then the soundtrack started to sell even better. Another soundtrack you can still find on vinyl at, like, Best Buy. Okay. Uh, this is the soundtrack to Alex Cox's 1984 film Repo Man. Oh, there you go. Um, which, uh, really good slice of the L.A. hardcore scene, as it appeared in the early 1980s. Because we have uh, Black Flag on there, mm-hmm. we have Suicidal Tendencies, uh, The Circle Jerks, and Fear are all featured on the soundtrack. Um, By the way, Circle Jerks and Fear, not the name of the band, the Circle Jerks, Circle Jerks, comma, one band. And Fear. Uh, and, and these are all bands from L.A. Yeah. Uh, the L.A. hardcore scene was a very particular uh, flavor of, of punk rock. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it's whimsical. Mm. <laughs> it's not relaxing, but there's some fun in there, because you have Black Flag on there, but what Black Flag song do you have? It's TV Party. The one where they're talking about watching, like, That's Incredible and Hill Street Blues. <laughs> We've got nothing better to do. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, and ju- when it starts up, it's the Repo Man soundtrack, and it's performed by Iggy Pop. Mm. And it has that wonderful opening guitar riff, you know, da 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 and it just has you throughout the entire thing, uh, mm-hmm. just through how, how wonderfully aggressive it is. And, you know, the movie is, of course, about 80s disaffections, about that punk rock thing, uh, mm-hmm. dismantling all, all of the uh, capitalist systems that are keeping you down. Uh, there's a wonderful speech by Harry Dean Stanton in the movie itself where he talks about how the repo man, the, the repossessor, is the, the one element of all of economy that makes it work. Because people wouldn't get into debt, or people wouldn't... Uh, people would stop paying their bills if no one was coming to take their stuff back. Mm. Uh, and that's very, uh, very 1980s way of thinking, that very sort of Reagan economics is all way of thinking, kind of leaking its way into uh, Repo Man. Uh, it's not vaunting that thing, it's seeing it as very, uh, very, very wicked. Mm. Uh, but yeah, if people weren't afraid of the Repo Man coming to get their stuff, then the economy would fall apart. People just wouldn't pay for stuff. It's like, yes, I'll take a loan and that I will never pay back. Right. Uh, and there's a, a certain kind of uh, defiance that uh, the main character is played by uh, uh, Emilio Estevez kind of affects. He becomes a very good repo man, but at the same time, he's like kind of like fuck everything, especially at the beginning of the movie. Uh, he sings TV Party Tonight. That's his anthem. <laughs> I remember when I was first introduced to, to, to punk rock. Uh, punk rock was around when I was a kid, but it was always seen as kind of a fringe thing when I was little. Because I'm not going to punk rock clubs when I'm eight. Uh, and uh, I, I started to see, like, uh, you know, clips from Fall of Western... Or Decline of Western Civilization, the Penelope Spheres movie. Mm. And uh, they were asking a lot of punk rockers, like, what what is it you believe in? What is it you're trying to build? And it took me a long time to accept that they're not building anything. The point is they're trying to tear it all down. Mm. They're They're using noise and wrath 
as a way of deconstructing the world and fuck the things that feel. Um, it was just about anger and disaffection, and I started to admire that after a while. I kind of uh, understood it after a while. Uh, so, yeah, in my when I was far too late for it to be cool, I started getting into punk rock. And then, uh, wouldn't you know it, I kind of stumbled backward into Repo Man. And good golly, is it an amazing film. It is absurd. Uh, the plot of the movie is Emilio Estevez takes a job as a Repo Man. And there's a car driving around L.A. that he needs to repossess. And there's an alien corpse in the trunk. Mm. And there's like this weird conspiracy of uh, like UFO hunters lurking around in this very bizarre movie. But that's not the here nor there. It's great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You've seen Repo Man, right? No. Shame on you. It's one of those ones that we always talk about. Like one of these days, Whitney is going to get me to see Repo Man. Uh, we've got a couple of those for him, but I can never remember them off the top of my head. But we'll get around to them one of these days. I'll force him to watch something or other, and he'll force me to watch Repo Man, yeah, and all yeah. will be well. All Wait, will be well. Watch Repo Man. I'll get you to watch Farscape. <laughs> you've, been, you've been threatening for a while. I, it's so good. All right. Um, well, okay, Repo Man, fair enough. Mm-hmm. I want to switch it up because our... our <laughs> Wendy and I have certain tastes, mm-hmm. and I think the last several choices in a row are very 90s, very gothy, very punk, uh, and I want to mix it up. I want to prove to you that I've listened to another kind of music. Uh, And this is one of those soundtracks that I'm pretty sure if a major publication that was playing it safe would do a list of like the 10 greatest soundtracks of all time, there's a really good chance this would make the top 10. Mm -hmm. But that's not a reason not to include it. Okay. All right. It doesn't. Well, sometimes it, 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 you want to just skew away well, from the uh, the no, obvious. There's but, no guarantee, and I do want these movies to reflect our tastes and our interests. But every once in a while, our tastes and our interests can be mainstream. I already did Batman Forever. That's a very mm. mainstream choice, and this is also a very mainstream choice. But it's an unexpectedly mainstream choice because until this soundtrack came out, nobody would have thought of any of these songs, most of which were pre-existing, as mainstream. And you definitely wouldn't have thought it would be a number one hit record. You definitely wouldn't have thought it would have won a shit ton of Grammys. Like, and not in like the weird categories. Like they're, they don't even televise, but like the big ones. Uh, and yet, somehow, the soundtrack to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, that's on my list too. Yes. <laughs> became gigantic. Yeah. yeah it became the, huge. They were doing like live, live concert performances of the like soundtrack. Multiple, yeah, yeah. Like, Albums like featuring music from the people who did music in the movie. Mm. Um, oh, brother, art that was a Coen Brothers movie. Um, it's very, very, very loosely based on the Odyssey, but it's about a bunch of fugitives from a chain gang who go on the run in the 1930s and again a series of misadventures. And along the way, one of their misadventures is in order to make money, uh, they find a, they, that there's a recording station that is looking mm. for new acts. And they sing a song called Man of Constant Sorrow, hmm. which is a great fucking song. Yeah. Uh, and it while they are out and about, and weirdly enough, this is going to come up again in in uh, uh, in one of my other picks. Uh, while they're out, you know, doing crimes and avoiding the law, their song in the background is becoming a gigantic number one hit. Hmm. Which they just did to get a couple bucks because yeah. they're on the run. Yeah. yeah, by the time the movie is over, they realize, oh, we're the most popular band in America right now. This is really, <laughs> really weird. Um, 
But meanwhile, there's a whole lot of other wonderful music in it. There's, the, there's like old hymns and like Appalachian folk songs. Funeral yeah. dirges. There's a great song called Oh Death, which mm-hmm. is just haunting. Uh, the, the scene uh, that's the movie equivalent of The Sirens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a go song. To, go to sleep, you little baby. Yeah, yeah go to sleep, you little <laughs> baby. Mm. Which is just <laughs> lilting and beautiful mm. and... These are not incidental songs. These are songs that are absolutely like mm-hmm. sewn into the fabric of the movie because music was sewn into the fabric of the culture. Mm-hmm. And to hear all of these incredibly wonderful, very soulful, very strange, quirky, sometimes very funny, and yeah, sometimes just flat out confronting big ideas like death and just admitting that it's really, really sad, in one of the funniest comedies of the 2000s, <laughs> uh, is really, really bizarre. This Seriously, this soundtrack, again, if you weren't around for it, I don't know how to describe it to you, it was weird how huge this was. Mm. Like, the Coen Brothers, they'd it, had it, a couple it won, of hits. It won the Grammy for, like, Album of the album Year. Album yeah. of the Year! <laughs> a soundtrack, it's, it's which a is big rare. deal, yeah. It's very rare, but it was... It was on the radio. It was on the major stations. Like they're, th- they're playing like the 1928 recording of like Big Rock Candy Mountain. That's like a hobo song. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm it's like it's like you imagine seriously. You're 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 driving to your college classes, and you're hearing two things on the radio: Evanescence <laughs> and Big Rock Candy Mountain. <laughs> Those were on at the same time on the same station. That's how weirdly popular this was. It was huge. And the thing is, the album is amazing. Like, it's a really great album. Like, it's such a fun listen, and it's so, like, just, oh. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I love Little Brother Art, though. Um, it's not even my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I don't even think it's in my top five. And it's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it it took over everyone by surprise. Yeah. These sort of I think it was one of those things that everyone could agree on. Yeah. No matter what your taste in music was, these old Appalachian folk tunes mm-hmm. just got out under everyone's sins. Also it has like blues musicians like Skip James. Yeah. Get some albums by Skip James, if mm-hmm. you can, by the way, because Skip James is amazing. It, it's kinda of, uh, I think but, the closest equivalent we've had recently is remember like Around the beginning of the pandemic lockdown, when everyone was very briefly singing sea shanties. Oh, sea shanties were a second. That was like the closest. Imagine if that one blip, like that one month where everyone was singing sea shanties, if that lasted a year and it was only one album. (laughs) There were no other albums doing it. There was no, like, anyone else, like, capitalizing on this. Hmm. Everyone's like, no, that's just that one thing. We're just going to let them have it. It'll it'll fizzle out eventually. And then, like, it became number one album, like, a year after the movie came out. Like, it was still popular that whole time. There was a a concert tour. It was called Down from the Mountain. That was a different record that was inspired by the first soundtrack. Yeah. And then 10 years on, they did a 10th anniversary where they just put more recordings on it. It's just been... The soundtrack was bigger than the movie after a while. After a while. And the movie was pretty big. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Mm. Yeah. Love it. I'm glad it yeah, I, I, And it's also on my yeah. list. So yeah, we can kind That's of two, by the way. Off. I decided retroactively that Lost Highway was also my pick. I couldn't... Okay. <laughs> I was gonna... I, I was like, you know what? I was gonna put it on there and I don't want to give myself an extra pick. I don't want to cheat. Uh-huh. So so we're, we're both... Uh, we both have four left. Let's see. What do I got here? One, two, three... Yeah, four. I got four, four left. left. So what do you got, what do you got um, next? I remember uh, reading Roger Ebert's review of this movie and... Um, mm. 
he started it with a quote from Dennis Hopper, and the, the quote is, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. Because <laughs> um, the idea is, you know, yeah. you're taking too many drugs. You don't remember, we don't remember the 60s. But uh, Roger Ebert pointed out, that's the late 60s. Everybody mm. remembers the early 60s, like 1961, when the Corny Collins show was playing in Baltimore. Uh, <laughs> you're picking the original the, Hairspray soundtrack? The original, the 1988 Hairspray soundtrack. This made me runners um, up. I'm glad you picked it. Okay. Um, this is a fun weird soundtrack uh another another filmmaker who really expertly like cameron crowe can put together a good soundtrack mm-hmm. uh the coen brothers can put together good soundtracks um there are you know scorsese of course uh there are bl- certain filmmakers who know how to wield pop music correctly i think cameron mm-hmm. crowe is one of the best and i love uh the guy john waters gets because john waters mm. clearly knows a guy <laughs> somewhere in baltimore whose basement is full of old weird records. Yeah. He's like, put together a soundtrack for me. And he's like, you got it, boss. How much is that doggy in the window? And uh, a song about balls. And And here's a song about cockroaches. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I actually remember, I think uh, I, I found this soundtrack in like a little like dime store bin in like a Rite Aid or something, which is like a local oh. chain of uh, pharmacies that I'm how far out it stretches. Um, and I got it for like two bucks on CD. And there's a little thing in there from John Waters where he talks about how I loved pop music, but not the pop part. Mm. Like I loved, like these are the songs that would be on the radio briefly. But they, and yeah, then they, they get they pushed out by all the really the popular stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but these were singles. These did get airtime, mm. but nobody remembers these exact songs. Mm. And they're all super fun. Well, the, the, the actual title tune is the original song for the movie. Yes, it's great. Uh, it's and that's a great it's, song. Uh, Rachel Sweet, De- Debbie Harry, who, yeah. who's also in the movie, uh, yeah. sings back up on that one. That's a wonderful um, tune. Hmm. Let me tell you about the greatest craze. I love, I love yeah. songs that have that. Agreed. Um, yeah. But uh, John Waters wanted to recapture an experience from his childhood, uh, or I guess his adolescence, uh, growing up in Baltimore in the 1960s, and a lot of that was local dance programs. One of the corniest American traditions that nobody remembers anymore. It's almost like horror hosts. It's this mm. like local phenomenon. And yeah, local dance competitions would have people on TV, and they would just dance to pop hits. Yeah. And that was it. And you know, the, the charismatic hosts—they'd introduce new, uh, new music on this sound, on these uh, programs. And if you got on the show, you got to be a featured dancer. You became a local celebrity for the week. And that's what hairspray is about. It's about these teenage girls who are vying for control of this. <laughs> and then, of course, it spins off into this uh, uh, civil rights parable. It's an excellent movie. Yeah. Um, oh, it's great! Yeah. I love it. It's it's. It... It's weird that he had that big of a crossover success, mm. but you watch the movie and it's like, yeah, that would have been a huge hit in the 80s, no matter what. No matter who did that, that would have been a great, just a delight. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of culled up these kind of obscure, but still very catchy pop songs from like 1961. Uh, so you have, you, you mentioned the Roach song. They have a song yeah. called Roach, uh, Do the Roach. I, I was very fond of Foot Stompin' by the Flares. Mm. Uh uh, or I'm Blue, the Gong Gong song by the Icats. Uh, these songs that you might have heard of, but you didn't really hear of. Uh, and like you, you heard of them if, if you were a teenager in 1960 in Baltimore. Uh, and it, it felt like um, I love the, the, the film soundtracks that bother to do deep cuts. 
Yeah. Uh, That's something that really bothered me about... Another thing that bothered me about the, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack is not only were some of those songs used on soundtracks before... But those were all songs you kind of knew already. Yeah. Good needle drops when you're watching the movie, but when you compile them together, it's like, oh, well, I it's guess just the greatest I, could, I could get a now that's what I call music and yeah. kind of the same experience. That's how I feel about, and I know these movies are super influential and had huge hits, but that's how I feel about something like American Graffiti, which is seriously yeah. just a nonstop list chill. of number, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, a no, just all the number one hits. Mm. And that's a great collection, don't get me wrong, but like it, you, that could be any movie from the era. Yeah. It's not necessarily telling. It's not necessarily reminding me of that specific yeah. film that we watched. I almost chose the soundtrack to "Good Morning Vietnam," which was yeah. one I listened to a lot. But that's yeah. another one where it's you just turn on Cares One Hundred One here in LA and you get the same experience. Uh, to be fair, there's a few less like, for example, if you're going to put a Beach Boys song on your soundtrack, mm. I think that's the only one that would pick Sloop John B. Like, mm. there's a few unusual tracks in there that I think make Do, it... Doesn't little... he also play... They also play I Get Around, though, don't they? Well, they do play I Get Around, but they do play Super Zombie mm. as well. All right. But then they, you're right, actually. And you know what? You're right. You know what? Mm. Fuck that soundtrack. <laughs> no, I love... It's I, dead to I me I love now. the soundtrack a lot no, as a I kid. Listen, I, I think it's... A lot. But yeah, there, there's a, a certain... Uh, and this is me being a rock snob, yeah. but you know they're they're easy tracks. There's the ones you know, the, the yeah. big hot big hot pop songs that you can sort of throw onto a soundtrack. You, you don't need pump this up. soundtrack to introduce you to those. Exactly. I yeah. know Cherry Bomb. I don't need to yeah. buy you know. Well, I think younger audiences might not know Cherry Bomb as much. Thanks to Guardians of the Galaxy, they know Cherry Bomb. I get, and I, I understand. You know, people are going to come to these these kinds of songs because I, I wasn't alive in the '60s. Sure. But I remember when the Big Chill soundtrack came out, and all well, those those Motown hits were it, kind of back in the consciousness. Here's again. a soundtrack that didn't make my list. It's a great soundtrack, uh, but and, and listen, I'm embarrassed. I was alive when Queen was still making albums, mm. but my introduction to Queen wasn't Queen. I probably heard, you know, mm. another one bites the dust at some point, but like. My introduction to Queen was watching Wayne's World. Yeah, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And Bohemian Rhapsody was a song I had not heard. Mm. It certainly wasn't in regular rotation on the radio because it's it's really fucking long. And when that movie was basically like, you know what's the coolest fucking song in the world, Bohemian Rhapsody? And then they show you. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, that is the coolest song in the world. And you know what? It still kind of is. It started, I remember when, when so that soundtrack I, I was late to it. Yeah. You, you don't, your intro, my one is your introduction comes when it comes. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want to judge anyone for it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of knew Queen uh, from an exchange student we were hosting is from mm. Chile and he brought it, all of his Queen records. Like, mm. let me play you these things. And he, he actually played for me Bohemian Rhapsody prior to Wayne's World. So I was, I was lucky. Uh, no, I'm not, I, I'm not I, bragging. I, I said I was, was lucky. Fine. Yeah. Um, and, and I did like the Wayne's World soundtrack, but I, I was mm. kind of familiar with Queen thanks to uh, Highlander and Flash Gordon because they mm. were, they were around. They were making music for movies. Um, but what I appreciate about something like uh, like Hairspray or mm. you know any band that bothers to do it is digging down a little bit, digging mm. a little bit deeper, finding the rarer records, the stranger records, hits from. Uh, you may have heard of the band, but you don't know this song. Right. Uh, that kind of stuff is a lot more interesting to me, and I think those tend to make better soundtracks, cooler soundtracks, yeah. than the ones of just, here's a bunch of pop hits you know. Yeah. Um, fuck Forrest Gump. <laughs> In every conceivable way, well, really, but... Um, I'll, I'll go to bat for Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise gives he a gives fine a performance. He gives amazing performance in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Newt Gingrich played that on his campaign stump. 
That's the values it espoused. What? The, I'm not Forrest Gump. The, the, the movie. The, the whole movie. He watched. The, he showed the movie to people while he was well, campaigning. Well, that doesn't tell you a lot about the movie. Yeah, that that should tell you everything you need to know about the movie. Kind of does. Uh, just last year, uh, a Bollywood filmmaker remade it. Mm. It's a film called Lal Singh Chada. It's better. I've heard better than that. it's better than far as uh, And that soundtrack is. Are you a boomer? Do you remember these songs? It's like the member berries from South Park. Oh, I remember that. There's a, a, a strange irony to that kind of comfort music, where when you're a kid, a lot of those songs are meant to be rebellious. They're meant to tear down the system. They're meant to show off how cool you are compared to the square adults in your life. Yeah. Fast forward 30 years, all of a sudden, that's the square music. That's the thing you're listening to for comfort, not rebellion. It's the thing that's making you feel good about your your old age. Uh, it's the lame music now. <laughs> so I appreciate things that have deep cuts, because that's never going to be comfort music, is it? It's always going to be a little bit off, a little bit, little bit sideways. And I, I encourage you to seek out the Hairspray soundtrack. The record is good, but it's only 12 tracks. Watch the whole movie, yeah, you get a lot right. more in there. You're get a lot and more, that's that's pretty yeah. typical. You're getting a lot more music in the movie itself than what's that's on the true. record. Um But yeah, uh, I love I love the hairspray soundtrack. Alright, so for my next pick, um it's actually a soundtrack from a musician who has done a lot of soundtracks. Well, well maybe not a lot. Several soundtracks, which might be considered some of the best soundtracks ever. Uh to pick one is probably sacrilege. <laughs> But I'm going to pick my favorite. And it was down to two. Okay. It was either going to be Under the Cherry Moon, (laughs) which is dramatically underrated as a film. Is it? Yes. I I watched this for the very first time. And you know what? Everyone was telling me, this song, this movie's terrible. Prince had no idea what he was doing. And it's like, no, it's camp. And it is glorious camp. And he knows exactly what he's doing throughout the entire thing. And I love every frame of it. Great. Great movie. Great soundtrack. But I'm going to pick, this might also be sacrilege, Batman 1989. Oh, fuck you. Now, listen, I know. I <laughs> you know, know. You know what? I was about to talk about Purple Rain. <laughs> you know, pick? like, one of the best records ever. <laughs> your next pick is Purple Rain? My next record pick is Purple Rain. Okay. Let's just talk about Batman and Purple Rain let's, at the same let's, time. Let's just do it. Okay, now listen. 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 <laughs> you can't go wrong with Prince in general. Well, here's I, what I, like. I suppose that's true. Yeah, here's what I love about... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to be positive here. Aww. Here's what I love about Prince's soundtrack to Batman. Now... If you've seen Tim Burton's Batman, we already mentioned that there are a couple of Prince songs in it. There's Party Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's um, what's uh, Trust? Trust, trust. That's the other big one. Um, and and there's the the Batman mix, like yeah, the, the Mega Mix. Yeah, but that's that's not even really in the movie, really. No, it's on the sound. Yeah, exactly my point. Um, there's a couple of Prince songs in the movie, and this was the studio mandate. They wanted to have something kind of contemporary, and Tim Burton wasn't a huge fan of this. He wanted the movie to feel kind of timeless and old. Um, and it's a choice. Hmm. I kind of like it in the movie because the way Tim Burton uses it is the Joker is Prince. Everything else in the movie hmm. is very... Uh, reserved and austere and depressing and industrial and when Jack Napier becomes the Joker and decides that this town needs an enema he becomes basically 
Prince? What if all? What if you were watching Fritz Lang's Metropolis and then literally Prince showed up? <laughs> that's the, that's the premise. It's it's out of place because the Joker is out of place, and that's mm. why I'm okay with it the way it works. The actual tie-in album that he did, which was originally the original concept, was that it was going to be an album from both Prince and Michael Jackson. With Prince doing songs out as the Joker and Michael Jackson doing songs as Batman. F- great concept. Fucking weird. That would have been a weird idea. That been a, can you imagine that album? Ba- uh, Michael Jackson was busy. It never happened. So Prince ended up making an album and uh, you know, a couple of songs are in it. A lot of them are not. And they're all told from the perspectives of different characters within the movie. So that the album becomes more of a commentary on the film than it is an actual proper soundtrack for it. And I think that's fucking genius. Mm. Because I love Batman 1989. I think it's a great motion picture. And then when I hear what Prince did with it, and how all of a sudden there are these new extra layers of the characters, and you hear like songs that are specifically like, like Vicky Waiting is what like Bruce Wayne thinks of Vicky Vale. Like that's like oh that's so fucking interesting. <laughs> Even the song that is considered like kind of like chintzy and jokey, uh, Bat Dance, which was like a dance you know hall kind of song for yeah. like using clips from the movie. If you watch the music video for Bat Dance, you realize that Prince isn't just doing a fun Batman number. He is exploring the concept of Batman psychosexually. Hmm. He is like, this is a movie, this is a story, these are characters who are kinky as hell. And what does it say about them sexually? De- definitely true of Batman Returns, but... Hmm. Uh, Batman Returns, Tim Burton leaned into that more, but hmm. you know, Prince was the one bringing it out in the original Batman. Um, there's a great music video for the song Party Man, where Party Man is like Prince as like a new 1960s Batman villain named Party Man, oh. who comes into parties and makes people party until they die. And, oh my god, Prince dances like a maniac in that, <laughs> in that music video. Like, I forgot that he could dance, too. Like, he's incredible. Um, the album is high concept, and fun, and funny, and romantic and smart and I it's weird that I have two Batman soundtracks here I sound like such a chill I'm not even that into Batman but for whatever reason two of the best soundtracks if you ask me are both Batman oh, that's why you don't like those Marvel movies because you're getting checks from DC None of my, no Marvel movies made my list I mean, you know so, why? Yeah. Because they have boring soundtracks. <laughs> they pretty much have boring. There's one that made my runner. Well, actually, no. There's a couple that made my runners up. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. but the, um, the yeah, only two that have like notable pop songs in their soundtrack are the first Guardians of the Galaxy, uh-huh. which uh, made my runners up. I think that's um, a good soundtrack. Uh, like I said, obvious for me, but you know, I'm, but I'm a snot. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Captain Marvel, which is set in like '95, oh. I think, um, I has, uh, has some recognizable. Pops off I'll, I'll jump ahead and say the other ones that ended up on my uh, runners up mm-hmm. were um, not necessarily oh, oh, using and, older and songs. Black Panther. Black Panther course, has yeah. an amazing soundtrack. That came very but, close yeah. to my top ten. As did the original soundtrack to, um, or excuse me, the soundtracks to the original Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. Which, if you've never listened to it all the way through, awesome soundtrack. Yeah, I, I, it's great. Yeah, could, couldn't, couldn't say. I only saw no, the uh, 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 What's Up Danger and uh, Sunflower Alone. Okay. Just honorable mention, but like, yeah. So those made my runners up. Neither of them may crack my top ten, and yet, even though, you know, 
again, Batman, he's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, two Batman soundtracks are fucking all-timers. What are you going right. to do? Anyway, but tell me about tell me yeah. why you love Purple Rain so much. Uh, I, I have no objection to Purple Rain. Well, yeah. Ma- I'm not must, gonna... must I tell you why I like Purple Rain so much? <laughs> it's it weird? is self-evident. It is one of those eternal truths of musicdom. It's one of everybody. It's... You can have a bunch of like vinyl records in your collection. One will turn into Purple Rain at some point, <laughs> whether like, or not you bought just it. Just like Frampton comes alive. Yeah. Just, you issued it. <laughs> like, well, uh, here's. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, why is it not your number one? Uh, because there's a better soundtrack out there, and we'll get to that one. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, let's go crazy. Beautiful Ones, Computer Blue, Darling mm-hmm. Nikki, side one. Uh, when Doves Cry, I Would Die For You, Baby, I'm a Star, Purple Raid, side two. Okay. <laughs> okay. Point made. Look, Prince is a phenomenon. Prince was amazingly prolific. <laughs> Bunch of hits, especially around this era, like in the mid-80s. Yeah. I, I feel like... Uh, as the studio started to fuck with him more and he got like bitterer, his music kind of suffered. One of the yeah. reasons he changed his name to that symbol uh, wasn't just because he was, you know, arch and arty. He was actually trying to get out of a contract. Yeah. A bad contract with the studios. Like, well, they, you, own, I, they own songs by I, Prince. I, I sound a comedy by Prince. Well, what if I'm not Prince? What if I'm not even a word? What if I'm just yeah. a symbol? Like, you you can't... Yeah. Cu- that's mine. He, he, that was Prince game yeah. the system the way that, like, Taylor Swift gamed the system by just mm. re-recording her old music. Yeah, yeah. It's basically um, like, oh, you own, the, you own that recording. I'm going to do the exact same... Everything's going to sound exactly mm. the same, but it is a new recording, and this and version and I own. Mine. yeah, yeah. Fucking genius. There, there's a lot of... I mean, everybody gets dicked over by a label every yeah. once in a while. Like, oh, we put all this energy into a record. Oh, we're going to shelve it. You don't, you don't get to put out that record. Well, great. You just ruined our career. Bye. Um, oh, who who is the Abco guy? Um, I don't know. Oh, oh um, slip of the tongue. Um, the, the record producer just, like, fucked everybody over. That, you're going to have to... Um, real, that does not narrow that <laughs> shit down. Uh, Alan Klein. Yeah, Alan Klein from, like, was his Barry name. Gordy onward. Oh yeah, like, I was about to say. Yeah. Uh, Alan Klein was like one yeah. of the biggest dicks in in okay. recording history. He had an Abco Records, A A B K C O, and um, he he was one of the reasons why we didn't see Jodorowsky movies for so long because he owned the rights to them and he wouldn't want to let them go. Uh, he uh, I hate it when they did shit like that. And uh, Harvey Weinstein used to do shit like that with kung fu movies. Yeah, um, you just buy them and then never release them so that they couldn't make other movies look bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you know he superstar record producer because he like managed the Stones, for instance. Yeah. But um, I think it was Richard Klein or Alan Klein who uh, is the reason why uh, Bittersweet Symphony uh, the mm. band never got any money for that. Oh, because they um, sampled something. And they a they sampled thing. an orchestral version of a Stones hit, and evidently that. They they got taken to court, yeah. And the Stones had to be co-songwriters. I think that originally they were like the only songwriters because yeah. of some legal reason. Yeah, uh, and, and they got screwed uh, on that and, one. Yeah. And I think it's the Verve Pipe was the name of that band. It and, was, uh, yeah. And yeah, what, the, Verve, was the Verve Pipe or the Verve. I don't remember. <laughs> it was one of those Verves. <laughs> I'll um, look it up. Hang on. Yeah, because there were there were definitely one of each. Yeah, Bittersweet Symphony. This life. As by, it was just the verb, not the verb pipe. Just okay. the verb. Look up the verb pipe and figure out what right. the hell their one hit wonder um, was because that's going to drive me nuts. Yeah, Bittersweet Symphony was like their big hit. It was in movies. It played on the radio all the time, and they got no money. Freshman, for it. 
For the life of me, I cannot remember <laughs> what made us real and we were wise and we never compromised. We're, uh, we're, we, we were teens in the 90s. Yeah. We're old. What if God was one of us? Did we ever think about Just that? Just a slob? Like one of us? Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, remember the, uh, I, hate, I hate the world today. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me all your thoughts on God. Because I'm on my way to meet her. That was controversial when that shit came out. People would say, what do you think about Dishwalla? And I would be like, they're fine. <laughs> what? Loved uh, Weird Al had a great joke once. Yeah. Uh, think of the the names they turned down before they got to Hooba Stank. Uh, <laughs> like, no, that's too stupid. We're going to go with Hooba Stank. <laughs> Good job, guys. Anyway, fucking Purple Rain. <laughs> Good God! It's a great album. Rain. It's, it's a great, great album. album. I also need. It's an album unto the under itself. I also need to pick it. You knew. I, well, of course, of course Purple Rain. I'm, I'm kind of surprised you didn't pick Purple Rain. Well, I thought uh, it was between that. I was between that, or it was between that yeah, under not, the Cherry Moon or Batman. Uh, and I, I think have, under uh, the Cherry Moon is underrated, and I think Batman deserves to be reappraised. Okay. Not just as like a, a, a kitschy, fun soundtrack album, but also as an interesting album. Right. So I want to give it credit. Uh, here's also the point where I, I no. get to brag because I've seen Prince twice. I saw him once at the someone at the forum because Prince liked to do this thing where um, he would show uh, really exclusive com- uh, concerts yeah. in these tiny rooms with like fifty people, and of course he'd cho- charge tickets like two thousand yeah. dollars, and of course people would go, yeah. you know, well, wealthy people would go, but then he would have uh, concerts at these big venues, and he would insist that the ticket prices remain really, really low. So I saw Prince at the forum for twenty dollars. It was great. It was way in the back. He's that, you know, he's teeny tiny out there. And Prince also had this uh, habit of when he performed, he would perform a couple songs and then he'd rest off stage for like 20 minutes. <laughs> like some people might jam on stage or you just wait and then come back out. He'd do a couple more songs and then he'd wait and he'd do like another intermission, 20 minutes. Yeah. And then he'd have, you wait like 45 minutes and then he'd bring out like Stevie fucking Wonder to do like a duet. It's like, so you don't go. It's like, yeah. it was the original Marvel credits. Yeah. Yeah. You never leave. Yeah, you so, don't leave until you know for a fact that Prince has left. <laughs> like he's back in the hotel. And even then, you he might video he might footage of him back turn in, yeah. and squeal back. Wait, I forgot to do Vicky's waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to see him there, but yeah. then I I also lucked out and I saw him like two hundred dollar tickets, and I was like thirty feet from him, so I got to see Prince perform. That's live. awesome. I'm very jealous really of close you. to Prince. I'm very and I'm very and I'm very proud of that, and yeah. I'm happy I did it. So of course I'm going to brag about no, it. No, no, you absolutely should. That's mm-hmm. that's if if I could. Prince is one of those people where if I could go back in time and go to a concert that I literally can't because they're no longer with us, Prince Mm -hmm. would be at or near the top of the list. That'd be fucking amazing. (sighs) All right. Well, listen, I have I have three more, and you have two more, right? Yes. Uh, All right. I only have two. All right. So I got three more. I'm going to go with. Oh god, my my penultimate one's a little embarrassing. (laughs) We don't really think about our number two, so it might just be a little random. Although my top two are kind of like interchangeable, so I saved them for last. All right. Um. My number three, and this one's an interesting one because the movie the movie's fine. Okay. But the movie's not a bad movie. It's a perfectly good movie, a little bit forgettable on its own. The soundtrack became a pretty big hit and became better known than the movie, and it was extremely high concept for the time because every single song on the soundtrack was a new collaboration between a hip-hop group and a heavy metal group. Oh, are you talking about um, 
Uh, Judgment Night. Judgment Night. <laughs> Judgment Night is a really cool and, idea and, for a soundtrack. Anthrax and Public Enemy. Yeah, yeah. Like if you've ever wanted to, like ninety one to ninety three is little window. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I love the Judgment Night soundtrack. Judgment Night is a movie. It's fine. It's about a bunch of like uh, about a bunch of douchebags who just happen to run into like a, a gang killing a guy, mm-hmm. and then they're like stuck. It, it, it's almost like. Um, after hours, but with a bit more of like a thriller bent, because they they see Dennis Leary, who wasn't an actor really at the time, he was mostly known as like an edgy comedian, as like the leader of a, of a gang. They kill a guy and a bunch of uh, just regular type dudes. I'm trying to remember who even was in the cast besides Jeremy Piven, like of Judgment Night. Yeah. Like Dennis Leary was. Well, in there. I said I Dennis Leary, but like who was like um, the main guys besides Dennis Leary? Well, no, no, I, so I, Dennis Leary, Ice T, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. was in Cuba it. Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, that's uh, right. Ostevez was in it. That was the, he was the um, main one. Yeah, he was like the hero. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was basically just them like running through all of like the most decrepit parts of town while they were being chased by these murderers, and the whole thing is, can they get home? Can they survive the night? Or will these guys kill them all? And you know, yeah. that's, that's the thriller. And that was enough, honestly. It's a kind of a modest thriller, but it's, it's a pretty good chase movie. Uh, but the soundtrack is a fucking killer. Yeah. All right, we got Faith No More and Booyah Tribe. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul. Uh, I like the Mud Honey Sir Mix-A-Lot track. <laughs> oh, that's a fun one. Uh, probably the best one, probably the best remembered one is Just Another Victim by Helmet and House of Pain. That, that was the, the like the big that was like flagship the, one. Yeah, but that was like there was, was also one with um, yeah. the the one I remember from the time was uh, was I, I forgot the name of the track, but it was Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill uh, did a collaboration. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that, that was the big one I remember. Hold on, I'm trying to look up. I'm trying to find the actual like uh, proper like track listing here because I don't have it in front of me. Here we go. I'm just going to run through the track listing here. Just another victim by Helmet and House of Pain. Fallen by Teenage Fan Club and Della Soul. Me, mm. Myself, and My Microphone by, in, by Living Color and Run DMC. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Judgment Night by Biohazard and Onyx. Disorder mm. by Slayer and Ice-T. Another yeah. Body Murdered by Faith No More and Booyah Tribe. I Love You, Mary Jane by Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Freak Mama by Mudhoney and Sir Mix-A-Lot. Missing Link by Freak Dinosaur Mama. Jr. and Del the Funky Homo Sapien. I remember Del the Funky Homo yeah. Sapien. Come and Die by Therapy? The question mark is in there. And Fatal. And then oh, finally, God. Real Thing by Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill. Okay, Cypress that's, Hill did yeah. too. Um, fuck yes! <laughs> and they're all just like really distinct, interesting tracks that neither group would have made entirely on their own. And it's, well, it's, the, it's really cool. The, the, the blending of, yeah. of... It's a novelty, but like, it works. And, and notice these are like hard rockers. These are like yeah, thrash metal, metal, metal yeah. thrash guys yeah. uh, pairing up with the hot hip-hop acts of the day. Yeah. Um, it's... It, Seems like that might be pandering a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. let's see if we can make this work. Because this this... The, there was there was that kitschy, and it's fun, but there was mm-hmm. that kitschy, um, uh, uh, like double, like it sort of. It was when Aerosmith did "Walk This Way" with I think it was Ron DMC. Well, was it Ron DMC? Aerosmith did "Walk This Way." Yes, and, and then, then they did and it then again. Run DMC, yeah, Run DMC remixed it, and they sang. Yeah. It. Yeah, but okay. then, but they, but Aerosmith, still Aerosmith came back, worked, yeah. and they did, and they did a new music video with mm. them, and that was it was. It was a novelty track. Yeah. It was fun. Mm. But that was a novelty track. These are actually like hard-hitting, serious fucking songs. These yeah. aren't like cute, like Dr. Demento kind of like one-offs. Uh-huh. These are actually like really fucking hardcore. 
Mm. Awesome soundtrack. <laughs> this is this is the kind of soundtrack you like. You put on when you're like driving to like an MMA fight to like keep yourself pumped before you like get to I don't know you probably can't afford tickets the sports bar where you're gonna be watching the MMA fight. <laughs> I don't know maybe you can afford it in which case still play the album mm. it's fucking great and watch the, the movie's good the movie I haven't watched in a while but it's a perfectly solid three star ninety three I was thinking about this recently so many of us leaving the show. When we do our like best of list, we're doing the best of, like the number one. Uh-huh. Here are the best film noirs. Here are the best buddy comedies. Whatever it is. And I think most people have a general sense of what's probably going to make those lists. I'm wondering if maybe it would be better if we just started focusing on, here are the ones that are like solid three stars. <laughs> we're not going to go above that, but these ones, you're going to enjoy them. Hmm. They're pretty good. They're not, they, they're, they're not without their flaws, but they're a really good time and they don't get talked about nearly enough because we're always talking about the same 10 or 20 action movies or superhero movies or whatever. Hmm. Like, what if we only focused on those for a while? I think that'd be better for everybody. <laughs> we, need to, we need to, let's like bring some cult hits back into the mix, you know, like yeah. start up again. Anyway, I got two left, you got two left, what do you got? Uh, no, I only have one left. Oh, no, I do have two you left. You have two um, Well, uh... Because you said your the, penultimate one was a the, little bit weird. The, the, yeah, this, this is a little embarrassing, because I've already talked about Lost Highway and Purple Rain and Repo Man. Uh, so, speaking of Dr. Demento novelty hits... Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to choose the soundtrack to UHF. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> if if, we, if which, this was in order, that would be really fucking weird. It'd be weird, yeah. If I but rank, it's, I, it's a great soundtrack. I, I wouldn't ever rank uh, UHF above Purple Rain, but I probably listened to it about as much. Because <laughs> that, that record came out when I was like 12 or 13. It was yeah. really, really important to me at the time. Um, yeah, Weird Al put out a movie in 1989, and it was fucking buried uh, because yeah. it came out uh, huge in summer. This was gigantic summer. summer. Batman came out. The summer Batman came out. It was also like one of the Lethal Weapon movies, a Star Trek sequel. Uh, um, yeah, Indian Indiana Jones movie came yeah. out. Yeah, just, I think Ghostbusters Two came out. Like all yep. these gigantic hits and sequels were coming out, fun. and yeah, UHF tried to slip right in there, and nobody wanted to see the Weird Al. Slapstick comedy film. I saw it in theaters, and I'm proud of it. You're the one. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, it was such a bomb that it kind of scared Weird Al out of making movies for a while. He it wanted was, to make more movies. There was a thought that like Weird Al could be like the next big comedy thing, because mm. he was selling a lot of records, and it's hard to make a name for yourself selling comedy records. Mm. And he did. He was a huge, you know, a huge presence in comedy pop culture, at least. And he was like... You know, MTV didn't have a whole bunch of jokey music videos that were playing as often yeah. as the, the quote-unquote real ones, and Weird Al was in that mix constantly. So the idea that maybe, because a lot of other musicians get to make a lot of movies, but if Madonna can make a bunch of movies, surely Weird Al can make some movies. Hmm. UHF is funny. Like it's oh, it's it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like, it's like the story is paper thin, but it's legitimately hilarious. Le- legitimately good comedy. A lot yeah. of really good, uh, just sort of absurdist gags. He was clearly raised on yeah. films like Top Secret and Airplanes. He's kind yeah. of Im- imitating that vibe, but with his own kind of wacky personality. Yeah, and also, um, which is weird, is that you would think it'd be more of a musical than it was. It'd be hmm. given an opportunity for him to do more yeah. music, and there's one big dream sequence where he dreams of. Um, the the he's, Dire he's, Straits had a song called Money for Nothing, which was a huge, like, big deal in the music video world because it was completely CG animated. Now, mm, by today's not, standards, very naive. But yeah, well, novel was, at the time. Yeah, it was kind of polygons. But yeah, yeah. it was really, really... 
striking. And the song kills, by the way. That's an awesome fucking song. Uh, and he did a ver- There's a bit in the movie where his character falls asleep. Watching the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes. And so instead of uh, money for nothing and he takes for free, he gets your... Um, what is it? What is the actual lyric? Well, it's it's the lyrics to the Beverly Hillbillies oh, yeah. sound uh, theme song. Yeah, we got to move next to Mister Drasdale. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We got to move to Beverly yeah. Hills. That is. Then one day, Jed was shooting at some food. A love through the ground came a bubbling crude. Uh, yeah. Those lyrics are but, now set. But yeah. badass rock music, yeah, yeah. awesome. My dad uh, so had that, a joke. That's, and that was like the one music video. I think that was a, a concession by the studios. Like your weird Al, you got to put in a music yeah. video. So yeah, yeah, that's that's the way they fit real, that in there. Real fast, my dad had a joke which he uh, which he loved, which was, "What is uh, the biggest band in the world?" What's the, the Dire band? Straits? Because everyone's in Dire Straits. <laughs> that, mm, well done. Well done, Dad. Thank you. He wrote that himself. Dad jokes. Dad jokes. Um, there's two uh, notable songs, Weird Al songs on the soundtrack. Mm. There's Beverly Hillbillies, and then there's the theme song, UHF, which yeah. is about uh, staying up late and watching ultra-high-frequency TV, Yeah. which kids don't even know what that is anymore. No. Um, back when you had an old black and white cathode ray tube TV in your house and just rabbit aerial mm. catching the TV there was signals. No, it, was like, it was like radio. It wasn't mm. like you had a cable connecting you to whatever mm. or even Wi-Fi. It was just whatever things, was in the air. Things were being broadcast constantly and you could yeah. tune into it or not. And, and the major uh, networks had like really huge like towers that could project a powerful signal really, really far. But there were also smaller stations with less powerful signals, but they were more high frequency or, uh, that were uh, that you could pick up, but only if you were closer to them, uh, or not necessarily. Sometimes, oh. uh, and, and this was uh, kind of true for a while. Some American stations would open up these super high powerful antennas just over the border in Mexico, oh. and they could broadcast whatever they wanted because they're on Mexican land. Yeah, and those signals could reach. Like all across the country, yeah. you could pick up all these. Yeah. Yeah. We live in Southern no California, about, but we could get all yeah. these Mexican stations. No worry about copyrights or nothing. Anything can play on those. Yeah. Uh, well, depending on the local yeah, but still, laws in Mexico, different, but different, yeah, laws. different laws, different laws. Uh, yeah. And yeah, the the story is Weird Al plays a guy who inherits a, a UHF station from his uncle, who's a gambler. Yeah. Well, gamble, and, uh, his uncle wins it in a gambling thing, and Weird Al needs a job, and, and the guy's so wife says, "Well, just give it to him." And he's like. Pfft. Fine, manage whatever. this UHF station. He's yeah. kind of a kooky enough guy that he starts introducing these really weird shows to this UHF and station. Becomes and it becomes unexpectedly yeah, popular. Yeah. Uh, great, great like, movie. Yeah. And then, then we have Wheel the Wheel of, of, Wheel of fish. fish. Then we have the Volcano Worshippers Hour. <laughs> and then fun, fun with dirt. Fun with dirt. Why not? <laughs> I got a call from today from a guy who could swallow his own face. <laughs> like that kind of weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's Weird Al. It's Weird Al's humor. If you're not yeah. into Weird Al's humor, first of all, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, but he put it out as a, a proper studio album. So it has uh, a couple... It has the two songs from the movie. has some of the sketches from the movie, like Gandhi 2. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, a couple of bits of incidental music, like, mm. I wanna be your hog! Uh, 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 let, let me be your hog. Uh, let me be your so, hog, yeah. which, which was supposed to be like, he was gonna license a metal song. He's like, you know what, I'll just record something real fast. Yeah, so it's like it's like a 30-second clip of a metal song. It's 16 seconds, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Uh, and then, yeah, there's like a, an instrumental that he has in the movie that's on the soundtrack as well. But then as those, all, he also recorded a couple original songs and some parodies to sort of flesh it out into a whole record. Yeah, so there's I think uh, that's where Drive Like uh, Drive Drive Like Crazy. She is. drives like crazy, which yeah. is a, a spoof of uh, Final Cannibal's song. Yeah, um, Johnny Campbell's song was She Drives Me Crazy, you know, all romantically. And Weird Al Yankovic did a song about how my girlfriend is a very unsafe driver. Yes. She drives like crazy. Yeah. Uh, he did a, a, a spoof of R.E.M. Stand called Spam. Yes, uh, classic. <laughs> classic Al. His polka, I, I wish he had done this more, but his polka on uh, the UHF record is called the Hot Rocks Polka. And it's, oh, yeah. all, and it's all Rolling Stones songs. Yeah, that was fun. I kind of wish that he had done like an Elvis polka or a Beatles polka. That like fun. that would have been great. But he never. The only I, other time he did that was um, uh, on Alapalooza. He did Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh-huh. Just well, Bohemian Rhapsody and polka stuff. Uh, he did the Hamilton polka. Oh, that's true. He did. Hamilton he did, he did a polka though. that was just songs from Hamilton, which is also really really fun. I I I I get where you're coming from here, but I also really really like the polkas that he did. That was just. Everything on the radio right now because yeah, it's well, that, that was kinda, that was what yeah what the polkas tended to serve. I know, as. but I, I like that because it's like this snapshot mm. of what music was, but in polka form. Yeah, I think what is it, the thing was what Weird Al said something to the effect of you know if they, I'm I'm doing these songs the way that they were meant to be played, but no one <laughs> had the guts to do them the right way. Do them as polkas in polkas, yeah, yeah. exactly. So 100. percent I remember. Um, He's told this story a lot, Weird Al, but uh, yeah. the idea that he he was gifted a, an accordion as a youth from a door-to-door salesman. Mm-hmm. They just hey, I'm selling polkas, uh, I'm selling uh, guitars and accordions door-to-door. Yeah. You want to buy one? And his parents were like, oh sure. Hey Al, you're going to learn to play the accordion. <laughs> okay, six-year-old Al says, and that's how the, you know kind of the legend began. Um, but yeah, the story says is yeah they were selling accordions, they were selling guitars, and you know I'm really glad they chose the accordion. Now that accordion players are like the central sex symbols <laughs> of our age, he's always had a great sense of humor. And uh, Weird Al is also he's a, a weird guy. He's like a, a really normal guy hmm. with weird interests. You talk to him, and he's totally polite. Uh, by all accounts, he's one of the kindest celebrities you'll ever meet. Uh, he's you know very principled. He's very uh, sort of self-effacing, but he is also friends with like these really weird cult figures like Elvira and the Kipper Kids. Uh, he likes that kind of edgy music. He listened to uh, to Doctor Demento. That's what inspired him to do these comedy records. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of thing genuinely holds his interest, and you can see bits of that creeping into UHF the movie because the Kipper Kids are in UHF the movie yeah. very briefly there if you remember yeah. if you've seen UHF yeah there's these two two guys with these weird facial prostheses just going bleh, bleh, bleh. that was the Kipper Kids that was their whole shtick <laughs> <laughs> look up some old Kipper Kids videos there's these really weird performance artists he liked that kind of stuff yeah. he was actually very fond of, of like genuinely fond of that kind of thing yeah um, the actual soundtrack record just a good Al record yeah, that's great, Albert. But uh, it's, it's even as upper may, echelon, but it's really good. I mean, I think it's just one of my personal favorites. But sure. uh, it was just like the movie; it was a bomb. It's only one of three Al records that didn't go gold. Like mm-hmm. nobody bought this thing. I think because it's because nobody saw the movie. Well, it, it was sold as the movie soundtrack, and the movie was so obscure. It's like, well, I don't want to get the movie soundtrack to this movie I've never heard of. It's actually a whole studio record as well. Yeah. So it's it's strong on, on when all. When we fronts. get to the runners up, I'm going to talk about a couple of um, mm. movies that arguably should be on the list, yeah. but they were also just a studio record that ended up like getting the soundtrack label on them. Mm. So. 
I wasn't sure if they qualified, and I thought I could make some space for some other things, but uh, yeah, totally. But yep, mm-hmm. okay. So you yeah okay. I'm, um, I'm sorry to, to bring it up so late in the show, but there we go. <laughs> um, I got two left, and I, we have been really focused on 80s and 90s. Yeah, uh, and I think there's a reason for that. That was kind of like a golden era for soundtracks, mm-hmm. but a lot of great soundtracks. A lot of soundtracks been done recently. None of them made my list, but my top two are both from the 70s. Okay. And if I were put to the test, I would say these two are probably the two greatest soundtracks of all time. Okay. Which one's number one? I have a personal favorite, mm-hmm. but I think both are perfectly good contenders. Uh, and the one I'm going to pick for my number two, which doesn't technically count, but here it it's actually just the, is this, my number two. Penultimate yeah, one but, but this one actually yeah, is my number two, because it's kind of tied for number right. one. Uh, is not just a great soundtrack album, but it's kind of an important album, because this was an album that is credited for introducing most of the world to reggae. Mm, okay. this, this is the soundtrack to the harder they the come. Harder they come, yeah, yeah. Which is in that case, I know what your number one is. You but, probably yeah. do. I uh, this album is fucking amazing. Mm. This album is amazing in a vacuum, which is kind of rare for a soundtrack. Because usually, mm. your association with the songs through the movie will empower some of the songs on the soundtrack to become more memorable than maybe they might otherwise have been. Uh, you can listen to the soundtrack to the harder they come and not see the movie, and you will listen to a fucking phenomenal album. Yeah. Uh, if you see the movie, and you should, because it's great, uh, you'll get some larger context. Uh, the Harder They Come is, is I think, is a Jamaican movie. Mm. It was the first film made in Jamaica by Jamaican filmmakers with an all-Jamaican cast. Um, and it stars the great Jimmy Cliff, reggae, uh, uh, reggae singer, uh, as a guy who's just kind of down on his luck. He dreams of being a musician. He can't get a job anywhere. He records one demo. It's a great fucking song. It's called The Harder They Come. Allegedly, Jimmy Cliff ad-libbed the lyrics, which is amazing to me because they're amazing. <laughs> um, and the song is fantastic. If you've never heard it, you'll hear it and immediately go, that's an all-timer. Um, he records the song. It doesn't really do anything. He's not making any money. And finally, he gets to the point where all he can really do to make money is sell drugs. So he's starting to sell... It's weed. But he's starting to sell weed when that was illegal. And the cops are getting on his case. He's got people who are betraying him. And it gets to the point where he gets sold out to the cops. The cops raid him. And he ends up like shooting three cops and making his escape. And now he's a fugitive. And a folk hero. <laughs> and once he starts like becoming like this kind of Bonnie and Clyde type guy who's like constantly on the run from the cops, keeps killing cops, and everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy? He's in the news everywhere. And then the producer who recorded his demo and didn't think anything of it is like, I have a song by this guy. <laughs> so he releases that song and it starts getting major airtime. So while he is the most wanted man in Jamaica... He's also got the number one hit single in Jamaica, and he can't really benefit from that. So it becomes this weird kind of uh, film noir meets musical meets slice of life Jamaican, you know, sort of society film. It's great. There's so much wonderful incidental music that gets its like its due mm. on the album songs that you probably have heard even if you've never seen the movie uh the song it, it this one wasn't from the song or the movie originally it was already like kind of repurposed uh but pressure drop which a lot of people from my generation know from the soundtrack to gross point blank 
Yeah. That was a cover of the original version, which was used in the soundtrack to The Harder They Fall. Uh, that song is fucking great. Um, hold on a second. I want to get the track listing here. Uh, you can get it if they really want. It's just beautiful, fucking awesome. Uh, the Harder They Come is great. Johnny Too Bad is fucking awesome. Um, seriously, listen to this soundtrack even if you don't have a chance to see the movie. But see the movie. It's actually pretty readily available. There was a time when it wasn't. It had a brief release on Criterion, and then it was out of print. And mm. it was really expensive out if of you print, want to too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like it was really hard to track down. But right now, as of current recording, it's currently on the Criterion channel. I think it might even be on Tubi. It's fantastic. It's great. It's a great movie and truly one of the most like important soundtracks, in addition to being a legitimately great soundtrack. I agree. Okay. I know the soundtrack because I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. Because uh. <laughs> it was hard to find for so long. But yeah, seriously, yeah. It, seriously it's, it's pretty short. It's like hmm. 97 minutes or something like that. Great. Like, yeah. I'm so glad I finally saw the movie. I actually only saw it recently. It's fucking amazing. I've, honestly, we just done our list of like the best movies start with the letter H. Probably would have made that list. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then uh, you, you're, yeah. let's go to your number one. I have my number one. This is, um, this is the movie you... Uh, you you hum the songs on the way in. <laughs> no, it's a hard day's night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably yeah. figured that one. This was one of the uh, ones where I was like, does this count? Because it's also the studio album. And then so I was like, eh, I wasn't sure. So I'm glad you picked it because it's great. <laughs> yeah. Hard day's night uh, by a, a British band called the Monkees. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's funny it's because they're actually very well known. Funny. It's the Beatles. The yeah. Beatles are a band from Liverpool uh, Pete Best was the drummer <laughs> and uh, this is the 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 invasion began here the, the British invasion the Beatles invasion pop music changing forever in front of your fucking eyes mm-hmm. uh, what I had to explain this to my dad at one point because my dad was born in 1940 and yeah. he was always into like chorale music and the kind of music you'd hear on Lawrence Welk. He was never really big on the pop scene. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was really, and to this day, he's really into like Bach. He likes, you know, George and Ira Gershwin. He didn't understand the appeal of something like pop music. And I had to explain to him as a teenager Pop is about the character of the artist and not necessarily their virtuosity as a musician. There are a lot of sloppy yeah, play- kinda, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of yeah. sloppy players out there who aren't the greatest players, but they kind of are because yeah. they bring a lot of their personality into it. They bring a lot of character yeah. into their playing. Yeah, that's, they're, that's pretty who, fair. who they are is just as important as what, how well they're playing. Hmm. And a lot uh, of who they are can be hmm. stuff like marketing or whatever, hmm. but that's what pop so, yeah, is. It's popular. S- some, sometimes pop music gets a lot of traction for how unpolished it is mm-hmm. look at the the ramones uh the, yeah they the, only knew like three chords they knew three chords and there's like <laughs> well we can play like the old beach boys surf surf tunes but we're not very good so what do we do <laughs> just play louder and faster and people won't notice and you it know worked. what it works it worked. Yeah. They, they created the punk well the ramones did not create punk but you know no. they they popularized sort of a certain uh, kind of punk, so. the ramones uh, soundtrack to rock and roll high school on my runners that up. was on my runners up as well awesome soundtrack uh, and so you're watching a hard day. You listen to Hard Day's Night, the studio record. Okay, good, great, great songs. You know the thing about the Beatles? They wrote good songs. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> a few here, or there. You watch the movie, and it becomes so clear. Oh yeah. 
why the fuck all this happened? The Hard Day's Night is amazing. It, uh, it, 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 it used to have like the highest rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I, and I, I believe like, it. More, it's one I, of the best movies. Yeah, it's just, it's uh, hard. It's almost impossible not to like that movie. Yeah. It's pretty and, amazing. And seeing these four guys mm-hmm. just kind of joke around and ostensibly be themselves yeah. reveals so much about what we value about popular music at all mm. uh, in the modern context. It kind of changed everything. Uh, of course, there were charismatic musicians in the past. Oh, yeah. I understand that. But when it comes to modern pop, the idea that they're cute and they're fun and they're funny, in addition to being talented musicians. Yeah. In addition to being sexy. Uh, yeah. I mean, even that wasn't enough. Mm. Like, you know, they had to have personality as well. Uh, yeah. And and they also, you know, they're young, so they're prone to brooding as well. There's a segment where Ringo feels a little bit dejected out of the band. And so he has a kind of this walkabout for a yeah. little bit. Um, uh, and... Uh, George Harrison has a bit where he's like wanders into this designer studio. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, we hate all that. We're young, and you're trying to create taste, and that's not how it works, man. We we tell you what's hip, not the other way around. Yeah. Uh, Paul is just being Paul. He's just sort of a mm-hmm. butterfly mind, kind of <laughs> f- flitting about and being very funny. Meanwhile, John is having you know and taking jo- a bath in the background and sinking the Britannia. Yeah, <laughs> singing Rue Britannia in the bathtub, yeah. dressed in the bathtub. Um, yeah, John is like off in his little, his own little world somewhere. Yeah, so they, they, you get to have these weird personalities. There's also a little weird slapstick bits in the movie. Yeah, it's very wacky yeah. sometimes. Yeah, some some things don't make sense. Like uh, they're they're bugging this guy on a train, and they're like mm. knocking on his door in the train. It's like mm. we're all riding in the train. We're gonna make faces in the train, and then they. He hears a knock from the exterior window as the, and train, is as the train is still moving, and and the Beatles are outside running. Hey, hey, what's going on? We're still gonna. It's like Animaniac stuff. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, um, yeah. I, there was an argument I had heard someone said that um, a hard day's night was suggesting to the world mm-hmm. that the Beatles were the new Marx Brothers. Okay, but it was help that confirmed it. Help, yeah. Help is Richard a total, Lester made both of these movies, yeah. and uh, yeah. Help is just a broad comedy, mm. and parts of it have aged poorly, but mostly it's really great and really funny. And actually, the one Beatles album I came very close to picking this, but I actually part of it was was a studio album, part of it was because I also felt it was like really hinging close. This is where I thought it might get fuzzy. Uh. To is this just a musical? Okay, and so I was like, is this just a musical? Because this also happened to. Um, Soundtrack to That Thing You Do, which I came very mm. close to picking because everyone knows that song. The whole album's really good. Um, but I came very, very close to picking Help. Partly because, well, I think Hard Day's Night is a better movie. I kind of prefer watching Help because it's so mm. silly. But also, when you just look at just the pure track listings, I think Help is the better album. Mm. I think Help is just like just nonstop, just awesome tracks. It's got Yesterday <laughs> on it, for fuck's sake. It's literally the mm. most covered song in history. Like, look it up. <laughs> it's the number one. I, I looked it up. I, I don't think it is yesterday, but I I, I did look it that up recently because uh, I thought it was Hallelujah, Let Leonard Cohen's oh, Hallelujah. Yeah, I thought if that, that, if that was, was true, that'd be recent. That'd be like a recent yeah. development. But yeah. that is a two. Oh God, I was listening. There's a sound. There's a there's a station we have, radio station we have in California. I'm mm. sure we other places do it as well. Where around Thanksgiving weekend they play nothing but Christmas songs until like yeah. shortly after Christmas which is great you know if you're into that sort of thing you, know, you just turn it on boom random Christmas song but they have their favorites and they play the same ones over and over again this last year they started incorporating Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah and I'm like fuck you that is not a Christmas 
listen to the lyrics? What are you doing here? That's not anything. No, <laughs> don't do that. I'm not. I'm not uh, okay with turning that into a Christmas song. We're not doing that. Okay, one, okay? Um, that's not happening. Hallelujah is actually way down the list of most covered songs, and the first twenty are all Beatles songs. Yeah, that's so kind of n- number one is indeed yesterday. Okay. Uh, th- th- I'm looking at a news. What, what's the highest that isn't a Beatles song? See, two is a lot more agree. Uh, three and I love her. Four, four, Silent Night by John Freeman Young. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that kind of uh, makes sense. I'm not sure if that yeah. counts. Um, and I love her is number Mich- three. Yeah, Michelle Summertime. And I love her. I would never have guessed the the Summertime the, the which one the Porgy and Bess version the Helen Jepsen version. Oh, okay. Uh, is number six. Great. Uh, number seven, Blackbird. Number yeah. eight, Here, There, and Everywhere. Number nine, Imagine. <laughs> that counts too. Well, yeah, it's John Lennon solo. Number ten, yeah. Norwegian Wood. <laughs> Norwegian Wood. Yeah. Sometimes no, I don't. I, I'm just literally surprised yeah. that those are the ones. Okay. okay. Number. You, I would think this would be number one, but number eleven is White Christmas. That used to, I think, be number one. I feel like uh, that had see. to have been. Let it be. Hey Jude. Here comes the sun. <laughs> what is this thing called? Love by Elsie Carlisle. Is number fifteen. Really. Yeah. Jingle weird. jingle bells. Anyway, we should move on. Anyway, yeah. That's, anyway, but it's, those, it's, it's all beautiful. Listen to Hard Day's Night, watch A Hard Day's Night, listen to Help, watch Help. Uh, my number one song is not only also from the 70s, it's also from 1972. Yeah. And well, as far it, as I, I can I, say, I knew you'd you, pick this I've one, talked yeah. about this a lot, of the, a mm-hmm. lot, and this has been my pick for not just the greatest soundtrack, but also just one of the greatest albums, maybe the greatest album mm-hmm. anyone has ever put together. And that is the soundtrack to Superfly. (laughs) Have you heard the soundtrack to Superfly? If you haven't, stop, (laughs) pause this, go listen to the soundtrack to Superfly. You kind of don't need to see the movie. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I I think The Harder They Come is fucking awesome (laughs) as a movie and a soundtrack. Superfly, it's culturally significant. That's kind of where I'm going to stop. Uh-huh. Like it's there's it's got a shabbiness to it, and there's something kind of genuine about that. And it it's it's made in like the 1970s in New York, and a lot of it was like shot on the fly, and you can tell that this is just genuinely what it looked like. There wasn't a lot of production design going on. This is just genuinely what it felt to look like and be in this part of New York City in 1971 or 72 or whenever they shot it. Um. It's a story about a drug dealer who is trying to get out of the business with one big score, and he ends up uh, getting in bad with some corrupt police, and he's got to figure out how to way to get out of it. And he's kind of a shit, like he's—it's a real anti-hero kind of situation. But you also support him because you know, mm-hmm. fuck those corrupt police. You know, like definitely the the greater of two evils, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a movie that's frankly just as a movie. Just okay. As one of the early beacons of the black exploitation movement, hugely important. Yeah. And as the film that gave us Curtis Mayfield's soundtrack, thank God for it. <laughs> Curtis Mayfield did the entire soundtrack to this song. Uh, to, to the movie. To this movie, sorry. And it is easily one of the fucking awesomest thing you will ever put on. If you just like you're doing nothing in your life. You just sit in a chair and you put on this album your life immediately gets sexier. Nothing else has to happen. (laughs) It's just a sexier life that you're leading. 
Um, it's all songs about how Freddy's dead. Mm. Uh, which I was hearing about, apparently, uh, this song was, like, a huge hit. And, Freddy's Dead. Yeah, and there was talk about, like, uh, should, should this be nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, I guess. Uh, but the version in the movie never has the lyrics. It's only the instrumental in the movie. Mm. And so they said, okay, well, we can't actually put this down as a technicality. And I'm like, okay, that's bullshit, but okay. What about Little Child Running Wild? Mm. What about Pusher Man? Yeah, I was about to say Pusher Man yeah. is like the the big head on that sound. Yeah, like like yeah, like seriously, like at least either of those hmm. should win. <laughs> Freddy's Dead is maybe the better song, but they're, they're, we're talking about like little tiny degrees. That's like if push, if Freddy's Dead is like a ten, Little Child Running Wild is like a nine point nine nine nine. Like I just <laughs> like, why were no nothing else? I don't understand this at all. Um. From start to finish, amazing. Like, it gives you all the personality of the movie and extra. I think almost all the personality in the movie comes from this song, from the soundtrack. Yeah, for sure. And it makes the movie infinitely better than it would have been with any other music. And I think that's something that a soundtrack should do. It should elevate the movie. I would love to see an experiment yeah. Where they take the music out of Superfly. Yeah. And they put in the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack. There you go. That, yeah. But people do that a lot. They'll do like a little thing. Just like if you change the music, you can completely change the tone. Yeah. Like if you like change the, 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 the remove the triumphant music at the end of Rocky. Mm. And you put in like some really depressing music. It stops being about how he didn't win, but that's cool. He got his self-respect. And all of a sudden it becomes about, oh, he didn't win. Yeah. You know, like it, the music is absolutely a pivotal part of so many motion pictures, and this is maybe the ideal example of. And I, you can also point out there's like Shaft, but mm. Shaft is mostly one great song. And yeah, the, the whole the album's good, but like it's mostly the one great song. Every single track on the Superfly soundtrack, the original Superfly soundtrack, not the remake, uh, is epic, iconic, perfect. Uh, I think you'd be a better person for having listened to it. That's how much I'm going to say. I love the soundtrack. So uh, that is my number one. I don't want to oversell it, but it'll change your life. <laughs> it will change the way uh, that you view the universe. Um, okay, so that is, that's the list. I'm going to, real fast, for people to have it all in one place, uh, I'm going to list both of our top tens in, in the order in which they were given. Uh, Whitney's list. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Still think it's a little iffy, but I'll let you have it. Thank you. Uh, Say Anything. Lost Highway. Crumb. Repo Man. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Hairspray, the original, not the musical. Purple Rain. UHF. And A Hard Day's Night. My list. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Batman Forever. The Crow. Lost Highway, Train Spotting, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, Batman 1989, The Prince soundtrack, Judgment Night, The Harder They Come, 
and Superfly. Whitney, do you have any runners-up you want to mention? Uh, we've we've yeah, kind of talked about, about it throughout, but let's uh, put them Superfly on. Superfly was on mine. Velvet Goldmine is a really good one. Yes. Yeah, great yeah. rock on great that pick. one. Yeah. Uh, if you're into blues music, the Buena Vista Social Club, Ooh. the rec- record's better than the movie, in fact. Good choice. Uh, rock and Roll High School is on my list. Yep. Uh, singles, I mentioned already. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, but I know The Big Chill has a lot of those big uh, mm-hmm. sort of Motown hits. Uh, good Morning Vietnam was one I listened to a lot sure. as a kid. Wild Style. Uh, the, doc, uh, the soundtrack to Wild Style has a great, great that. hip hop soundtrack as well. That's a great um, pick. I wish I thought of that. Yeah, Wild Style is really great. Uh, High Fidelity mm. is a movie about making a mixtape, so it it's stands to reason that it's a good mixtape unto itself. I mentioned Natural Born Killers, Train mm. Spotting's on my runners up, uh, Wayne's World is as well. Tank Girl. Another, yeah. another one of those uh, kind of an iffy movie, but sure. uh, the, the soundtrack is really excellent. Soundtrack's great. And, uh, I, I like Laurie Petty in it. <laughs> the movie itself is pretty oh, bonkers. Lo- oh, no, I love the movie. I think uh, the movie's great, but okay. Um, he's a little persona non grata, but uh, the the soundtrack to Everyone Says I Love You, the Woody Allen film, okay. is a bunch of old, like, s- standards sung in an amateur fashion by the cast. Sometimes and, really amateur. And in fact, they were in, instructed to do so. Like yeah, uh, they, Goldie Hawn sings a song. It's like don't don't sing it as well as you ordinarily would be able to. Yeah, that they they may have overshot themselves a little bit on that. You think so? I I, I, think, I think it adds to the charm. Yeah. It's it's also the only soundtrack you'll find where there's a cover of the Chiquita Banana song. Oh, good. So uh, I like that about it. Uh, and uh, what else do I have on my list? Uh, nope, that's it. Okay, uh, let's see here. Some runners up on mine. I already mentioned Help. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Um, this one is so obvious. I actually thought maybe you'd put it. Uh, it's great. You should listen to it. But I thought it was too obvious to even mention Saturday Night Fever. Uh, sure, it's a classic. Um, here's one that is C- cannot impugn Saturday Night Fever. Here's one that is the definition of is this a soundtrack or is this an album? Uh-huh. Because it was released as a soundtrack, but it was also released as an album called Who Made Who, and that's a soundtrack to Maximum Overdrive by ACDC. Okay. That's literally just the album Who Made Who, but they released it as a soundtrack. Weird. Awesome, but I thought it was kind of riding the edge. Um, Here's one where I... There's a couple where I wasn't sure if this is going to be officially like a musical or not. I mentioned that thing you do. Is that a musical? Is it not a musical? Mm -hmm. Eh. Here's one where it's one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. I think it's kind of technically a musical. Streets of Fire. <laughs> yeah, Streets of Fire. Seriously. That, that, that is a musical. Though, Drop what you... Yeah, so if we do the best musical soundtracks or whatever, mm-hmm. that would definitely be on my list, but there you go. Uh, Gross Point Blank, speaking of John Cusack movies, awesome. Uh, Giorgio Moroder's Metropolis. Oh, that's a good choice. Which is... It, it works better... It, I, I listened to it on its own. I almost picked this. It works better in context with the movie than it does outside of it. Mm. So that ultimately left it off in my top ten. But it's still a really interesting collection of movies. Of oh, sorry, of uh, of songs by people like Freddie Mercury and Pat Benatar, and they're all supposed to go in sync with uh, Metropolis. It's mm. fucking awesome. Uh, the Lost Boys, awesome. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's so popular, it's almost you don't want to pick it, but it does work. And I, I, think I that, appreciate yeah. that it made soundtracks a thing. Yeah. I like and, I, and I appreciate uh, that the soundtrack is literally a character in the movie. I think that works really well for it. And that makes the soundtrack feel more important than just a fun collection. I think that's the difference between that and Captain Marvel. Yeah. Which is a perfectly good collection of songs, but the songs don't mean anything. Whereas in Guardians of the Galaxy, the songs are curated by a character within the film. And so they mean more. Uh, let's see. I had a hard day's night. Hackers came very, very close. <laughs> yes. Uh, Scorpio Rising didn't have its own yeah. soundtrack, but it's important. Rushmore is a great soundtrack. 
Black Panther is a great soundtrack. It's a cliche, but Footloose is a great soundtrack. Uh, the Last Dragon is a great soundtrack. That came very close. Oh, Bar- to Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon? Yes. The movie is called Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon because the soundtrack was a big part of the reason why the movie could get made. Uh-huh. But there was no actual, like, rule in place that would allow the guy responsible for producing the soundtrack to be in the opening credits of the movie unless it was, like, this guy's movie. So they called it Barry Gordy's Lost Dragon, even though all he did was put together the, the soundtrack. Uh, A Clockwork Orange. Very eclectic soundtrack. Very cool. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I mentioned. Reservoir Dogs, I mentioned. Amadeus, I mentioned. Uh, the most recent film on any of, I think maybe any of ours, uh, is Wendell and Wild. Oh, that's got a great soundtrack. It's got a great soundtrack. It's, it's not my favorite movie, but it's a great soundtrack. It's, and it's, it's, all, all, it's, it's all, all metal bands. It's metal ba- um, yeah. metal bands uh, fronted by black artists. So yeah. we have X-Ray Specs and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, Living Color and you know, yeah. bands like that. And, uh, and Bad Brains is in there. Truly excellent soundtrack. Yeah, like, an, really, really fucking phenomenal. I think there's a death track on there. Yeah, it, it, and it speaks to the film. It came very, very close to making my list. Uh, and then the last two, these are maybe not great soundtracks, but they were in constant rotation at my house growing up. They were the two big rom-com soundtracks of the 90s, as far as I'm concerned. Sleepless in Seattle. Okay. Just nothing but old-timey bangers and a couple of new songs that sound like old-timey mm-hmm. bangers. And the soundtrack to French Kiss, which is... <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was constantly... My parents loved that soundtrack. They played it all the time. Well, anyway, that is it for the Iron List. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, hold, if you're hold on, I, I wanted to look up the things that are on Wendell and Wild because okay. that actually is an excellent. It's an choice. excellent soundtrack. I, yeah. I, I came very close to picking it. Uh, what you got? I know. Uh, oh um, shoot! It's just the. Score. I know Wolf Like Me is on there. Yeah, it looks like it's just the score. Mm. They didn't. They didn't put out like a soundtrack. It's just the it, score. It, that's nonsense. If you go to IMDb, they'll have a soundtrack list. Um, I'm gonna vamp. Yeah, I'm kind of, um, kind of looking it up here. Uh, you you do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna tease. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh, yeah? we, got, we got Fishbone, yep. Germ Free Adolescence, Extra Specs. Uh, also, I am a Posier. That's Polystyrene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Specials, Ghost Town. That's the first one. Yeah. Uh, that that the song opens with. That's also from Shaun of the Dead, but you know whatever. Well, um, the Wolf by the Brat. You sexy thing by Hot Chocolate. Uh, oh, Young Gifted Black in Leather by Special Interest. That's a nice. great song. Uh, free, there we go. Freaking out by Death. Death is an excellent band. Uh, yeah. There's a really wonderful documentary about Death called a band called Death. Um, I dig it. Yeah, check out that. First of all, just buy a Death record. You you won't regret it. Or mm. you can just watch the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, T- Living Color TV on the radio. Um, that that is an excellent soundtrack. It's an amazing. I, soundtrack, I, I, yeah. I want to get that. Yeah, it's really fucking great. Um, anyway, next time on the Iron List next month. Uh, our patrons get to vote once again by the time this episode is live that poll should be live and the options you'll have for the month of July are as follows the best biopics movies that are about real life people telling their stories the best cinematography not mm-hmm. whether or not they're the best movies are the movies that we think have the best cinematography ever uh, the best 90s indie movies uh, the 1990s was a huge decade for independent cinema, and they boy was it just kind of sprawling. It, it, it was a really interesting time. Yeah, like a, a like lot, all, lot of lot of artistic genre, variety. all walks of life. Mm-hmm. It was a really really cool, huge huge topic to talk about. Uh, the best movie cameos, uh, movies mm-hmm. where all of a sudden oh that person's in this briefly and they're used to an interesting effect. Uh, and then lastly, you could continue. You could vote to continue our ongoing series with the best of movies that start with the letter I. We've already done A through H. 
Will we do the letter I next month? That is up That's to our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to all of our patrons. We hope you're you're enjoying the show. We hope you're enjoying getting this show and all of our new shows ad-free. Uh, we hope you're enjoying your various uh, exclusive shows, including uh, getting our new Godzilla podcast, Thank Godzilla It's Friday, one week early. Also, our shows, uh, All Our Yesterdays, we review every Star Trek ever. Uh, our show, Only the Best, which we are currently working on the new uh, episode right now. It's a lot of research into it, but we're working on it. Hopefully we'll get that done within the week. We're reviewing every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture on that podcast, and we're up to the year 1952. So the big back catalog there as well. We have commentary tracks, Discord hangouts, trivia nights, the whole shebang. Uh, seriously, without our patrons, we couldn't do this. So thank you. And if you want to share your own picks for the greatest soundtracks of all time, or if you have any uh, issues with any of the selections that we made, we would love to hear from you. We would love to read your lists on the air. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail, or if you'd prefer, and we always love this, you can send us a piece of physical mail, snail mail, if you will. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep, and of course we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's the list. 